I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, dream demons, franchises, and director's bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. And this is episode 49, A Nightmare on Elm Street Franchise Part 2, The Dream Trilogy, recorded on 9-2020. Holy crap, this year is almost over. Is it really? It really is, man. I got a text from work the other day that was like, it's this many weeks until Christmas. And I'm like, you dick, it's 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Can we not like worry about counting Halloween first? I don't know, man. Halloween appears to be fucking dead this year. <laughs> Oh, it will not be dead in my house. I will figure out something. <laughs> I'm more surprised that I just said this is episode 49. I know, right? Which means next episode's episode 50. Yeah, we've made it like 48 episodes farther than people said we would. Oh, yeah. Anyways, guys, this is going to be a long one. We got three <laughs> movies in it. I said the last one was going to be a long one. This is going to be the real long one. My ass is going to hurt after this one. <laughs> you need one of these cushions like I got, man. They're great. <laughs> Hopefully it's not late, but you know, I made lots of promises on the last one. And then, yeah, but it came out. The downloads are looking good on it. I hope you guys like that one. And um, hopefully you like these flicks. Some of these are people's favorites. So before we dive into the movies, though, let's go over a little bit of news. This isn't really horror, but it goes in that whole fantasy subgenre thing. But Terry Goodkind died the other day. He wrote the, uh, you know, the Sword of Truth book series. Yep, uh, the wife and I were even uh, dressed as characters from that series, from the show, really, from Legend of the Seeker at our wedding, and uh, that's fucked up. <laughs> it's just crazy. I, I read all those books. Something that we all knew was going to happen, it just hadn't been announced yet, but come on, you knew this was going to happen. <laughs> Nev Campbell's officially going to be in Scream 5. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I guess I can kind of go bad news, good news, bad news, if I look at this right. <laughs> eh, maybe not. <laughs> Candyman, they're officially delaying it until next year. Like, it has no release date. Nobody saw that coming. I don't know. Some people are doing the, you know, the on-demand pretty quick. I was wondering if they'd try that, but I guess not. No. I saw previews for Freaky, the next uh, Blumhouse movie coming out. And I want to say it's made by some of the Happy Death Day to you people. Don't quote me on that, but it's got Vince Vaughn in it. And he's a creepy fucking serial killer in it. Okay. Well, for part of the movie. And it's basically like the Freaky Friday story. He goes to kill a girl, and I can't think of her name right now, and I feel terrible, but she was on Supernatural. She was Castiel's daughter and stuff. But when he kills her, their souls swap bodies. So she becomes the slasher, and he becomes a high school cheerleader. Oh, nice. So I can see Vince Vaughn doing that. The trailer looks pretty funny. I'm going to give that one a watch. <laughs> and they finally released trailers for the in the Blumhouse for Amazon Prime, if you oh. haven't checked that out yet. So... It looks a little Black Mirror for part of it. it. It does look interesting, but I think all four of the separate movies are supposed to tie together. Oh, so yeah. Okay. Cool to see. But yeah. that's coming out in a couple of weeks, too. So we're getting into that season, guys. Like all the horror stuff is about to start coming out. Yeah. And this is the time of year that uh, Halloween Horror Nights would be going on. And uh, since it got canceled due to COVID, Orlando won't let it die. So as of just this past weekend, they're uh, doing testing, at least with two houses to see if they can actually have some houses open just as an add on thing for the Halloween season. And uh, they're taking a lot of precautions and shit, but everything's jam packed. Like 
hours and hours in line. So maybe they'll open some more houses. Maybe they won't. The inside rumor mill, though, is saying that as far as it's understood, every house slated for this year is still going to go on next year, minus the Billie Eilish house, because she now doesn't want horror to tarnish her new image. And that's not a joke. She's going away from horror with her next album and doesn't want to be associated with it anymore, which is weird. So uh, I don't, it's... We've even talked about going, I just want to see the Beetlejuice house because rumors are they got, <laughs> they got two houses open right now, which is Bride of Frankenstein and Tooth Fairy. And the rumor is that the Icon house and the Beetlejuice house are the other two they're floating opening because those are the four that are in the sound stages. That's the easiest ones for them to do without disrupting the park. Yeah. I, don't know, I just want to go one year, but I don't want my first year to be the pandemic version no you don't you don't need to go to half-assed horror nights you need to go to to actual halloween horror nights i don't know maybe life will be normal next year we'll just have to see maybe i got a few updates slash corrections from the last episode let's see here heather langenkamp is actually co-owner of afx studios with her husband and the film that she had done makeup work on that we had covered on a previous episode and couldn't remember what it was was cabin in the woods yeah, that's that's bad on us. And anybody who's trying to spot her as an effects worker in the credits, if you don't see the studio by name, she goes by Heather Anderson. That's not that's her married name now. And that's not common <laughs> with like actors and shit. <laughs> so sometimes it's like what Heather Anderson and sometimes Heather Langenkamp Anderson. So but yeah, and that's Cabin in the Woods was a huge one to leave out. But AFX has done fucking some other interesting shit that couple that if we've gone over in the past, too. <laughs> Some that stick out to me was like the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yep. And I think they did some of American Horror Story, which most of those look pretty damn good. Uh, also, uh, Serpent in the Rainbow and the OG Pet Cemetery. We'll just have to look out for that studio more when we're doing stuff now that we might actually remember the name. Yeah, but we'll still both carry a hard on for K&B. There's just no getting around that. <laughs> <laughs> Something I caught while editing the last episode when I was talking about Freddy attacking Lisa in the kitchen and kids looking around, I think I confusingly said who could see Freddy versus who could see Jesse. And I feel like the audience, us, we were the ones that got to see Freddy and everyone else in the room could see Jesse. But once again, that's just a theory of mine anyways, but I, I thought I should correct that from where I said it. I'm okay with that. That makes the, the bending and breaking of the rules irrelevant, so we'll go with it. Those rules are about to get broken in another movie, and nobody ever cries about it, so I'll bring that up when we get there. They're going to get fucking shredded. <laughs> <laughs> I should have probably said this earlier, but I apologize for a little bit of audio artifacts on the last episode. We had Josh's air conditioner, like his window unit, pinging in the background the whole time, and I couldn't quite mix it out. And some sometimes hilariously timed screams from my kids playing in the room down the hall. And some of them were just annoying when they popped up because like, Oh God, I can't hide that. But there was a funny one in there somewhere. <laughs> so this episode, y'all just have to hear me sweat and uh, you got the kids locked down, right? <laughs> we'll see what happens with them. So <laughs> the last thing I want to say about the last episode, I didn't really think about it till I was editing it, but have you ever noticed how spot on the, did you ever see a dream walk-in song was to that movie? Eh? So like the embodiment of Freddy type thing? Yeah, I mean, I always caught the dream part, and I thought it was kind of funny, but when you think about it, he's like walking in Jesse's body. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really spot on, and I was okay. like, that is a very well-picked song right there. But anyways, let's get on to what we watched. 
I will say the I think the only new thing I watched was the Babysitter Killer Queen on Netflix, which we finally got to see what happens when McGee's allowed to fully go off the fucking rails. <laughs> and it was crazy and absurd and more crazy and absurd than the first one. And really, I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. I'm not going to say it like made waves and changed the horror genre, but it was a fun movie with a bunch of crazy shit in it. And he's hoping to make a trilogy out of it. He's already got an idea for part three to, to end the trilogy. So he's hoping he gets to make it. Have you seen that one yet? Yeah, I saw it. It was definitely a fun ride and definitely worth watching. I need to go back and watch the first one again because when I finished it, I was like, I think I like the first one better, but I, I need to go back and watch the first one again. I watched the first one like two weeks ago with my wife because she had never watched it. So I, I luckily had seen them pretty close together. So okay. and I felt like the trailer did a good job of not spooling plot twists and whatnot. So with the way those movies are, it <laughs> you're not going to know what the fuck's going to happen anyways. <laughs> oh, it held true to that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, of course, still watching The Boys in Lovecraft Country, which are... Both just getting crazier and crazier, I feel like, at times. So we'll just have to see how those go. Yeah. And uh, this isn't horror-related at all, but we talked about it so much in the last episode. <laughs> I managed to marathon Cobra Kai Season 2. Awesome. And I'm mad that I have to wait till next year for Season 3. So Yeah. <laughs> that show's so 80s at times. He's like, as soon as he gets the internet, he looks up, what, Hot Babes, Wet T-Shirt Contest, and Iron Eagle. Yeah. He's like, watch Iron Eagle. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is fucking 80s as hell. Oh, Oh God, it's so good. If you came from the eighties, at least it, it's so good. I don't I don't know how the youngins are are doing with it. <laughs> I fucking love Johnny on that show. Oh, he's great. And uh this was a random unintentional one, but I was playing some video games on my computer last night. My wife was watching, I don't know, Food Network or one of the cooking channels. And she came and grabbed me because they were doing the Haunted Gingerbread Showdown. And it was season two, episode four, The Scares of Elm Street. And it was all Freddy Krueger oh, inspired. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if called call them pastries or what, but they made some crazy shit. And it was badass. And hell, just Google <laughs> the episode. I bet you can find like the stuff at the end without watching the whole episode. But there's some really impressive shit on there yeah. that people made out of gingerbread and chocolate, man. <laughs> Is probably Food Network. They do a lot of stuff for like all of Halloween with their cooking shows that that are good. Like since we don't have cable, if we're in the hotel on vacation, that's we leave it on Food Network just to watch the Halloween related bake offs and shit. Oh yeah, yeah. We watch those usually too. I've never seen this particular gingerbread one. It was it was pretty neat though. I mean, the person I wanted to win actually won, and she made it, it was from the waist up, but it was a full size bust of Fred Krueger that looked legit as hell made out of gingerbread oh, and he nice. had his arm out with the claw and on the back he had like the phone hanging with his mouth on it and in front of him was his entire house made out of gingerbread and his arm caught on fire because like at the last minute they're like and now you have to add fire to it so she made it where his <laughs> arm had copper pipes with propane light on fire it looked pretty fucking badass i'm gonna have to look for this on the interwebs <laughs> it was neat, but did you get to watch anything cool or is it just, you know, shitty movies that nobody heard of on Netflix? The only thing I had time to watch was uh, the babysitter killer queen. <laughs> but anyways, since we're covering three movies on this one and I was talking about how I like to sleep and I have to edit these things, we should probably dive into the films. <laughs> Well, let's do it. Uh, of course, we left off with Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And in the search for more money, we've got to come back with Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And uh, 
I got a little bit of personal things and a little bit of behind the scenes before we actually go into this. I joked about it before. This was a Jesus tape survivor. Kinda. It had been recorded over, and right when Nancy comes into the dream with Kristen in the Freddy Snake scene is where the movie always started for me as a kid. So I never saw the like actual beginning, but that's not too far into it, so that's okay. I remember watching this one at your old house in the woods with you. And I don't remember if it was that tape and we didn't have the whole movie or if it happened to come on like, you know, channel 24 or something on, on the weekends. Yeah. But I do remember watching it. Uh, the main part that stands out is the snake, though. So <laughs> it could have been the tape <laughs> and the TV scene. You know, who can forget the TV scene? Yeah. But uh, Freddy's Revenge made money, but it was a critical failure. And New Line actually courted Wes to come back and make the next one. And uh, Wes was like, okay, I'll do it. I can't direct it, though, because I got this really promising piece I'm working on called Deadly Friend. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he had a few caveats of his own with the direction he wanted to take it, and some stayed and some didn't. He called Heather Langenkamp on her birthday of all days when he started writing and said, look, I'm fixing to write this. I'm writing it with you in mind from Heather's story, but I'm not going to do it unless I know you're down and you're going to be in the movie. And she's like, totally. And uh, he actually wrote it as an ending to the series. He's like, let's make Freddy scary as hell. Let's actually give a backstory that explains how to really kill him and kill him off. And we even get some of the the trilogy rules, so to speak. (laughs) It didn't go that way. (laughs) And not only did it not end the trilogy, it basically set up this trilogy being the dream trilogy, as we're calling it. So that's just kind of ironic. I know, I know. And really, I would say this movie is what fucking ramped the franchise up and skyrocketed it anyways, right? Yes, this is the birth of MTV Freddy. There's no getting around that. But uh, the funny thing is, is if you read between the lines of of the at least the writing and the start of this movie and even more so read Craven's original script, New Line didn't want to spend the money to do Craven's original script. And they, of course, by they, I mean, Bob Shea didn't want to kill off. (laughs) (laughs) Just two quick things about the original script that I do want to bring up because it's Craven, man. It's the last one in the in the original series that that's got his fingerprints on it until he came back at the end. But uh, the. Original script opens with a shot of a pregnant woman's stomach and Freddy's claws bursting out of the stomach and then a fetal Freddy crawling out of the stomach and growing into full size Freddy. Jesus. I wonder if that ever got used in the series. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a couple other things that uh, I'll sprinkle throughout here. And uh, one of the biggest things at the end, because I just think it's kind of interesting. I do not remember if it was on my Blu-ray special features or the Never Sleep Again documentary, but when they show like pages from Craven's script, it was some vulgar, rough shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of hate and anger in that one. <laughs> yeah. I've got two lines in here that sum up uh, just how dark <laughs> Craven wanted to go. <laughs> but um, Dream Warriors, 1987. It was directed by Chuck Russell, who did the 88 version of The Blob, The Mask, and who could forget The Scorpion King. Oh, I didn't realize he did Scorpion King. (laughs) And uh, the writing, of course, started with Craven and Bruce Wagner. And uh, Bruce Wagner went on to do comedy and drama, which some of the stuff that he came up with in the original script, I'm shocked that he went on to comedy and drama. (laughs) But it was, of course, rewritten by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont. Now, Frank Darabont is no fucking slouch. No. Just a couple <laughs> things. The Green Mile, The Mist, and uh, The Walking Dead. <laughs> Those are three big things well, that come to mind. 
the first season of The Walking Dead, he started it. They got rid of him after season one, but yeah. that was their mistake. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a fucking legend. And when I saw that he did the rewrites in this movie, I was like, holy shit. Because I guess he probably wasn't famous yet, right? I don't, at the time. Yeah, I don't think he was at the time. Not with that Bob Shea money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but of course, we have the return of Heather Langenkamp, Robert England, and John Saxon. And too many fucking other people in this movie, but I'm going to try to go through this as quick as I can because I think <laughs> this is our biggest, this is an ensemble cast. We're going to revisit that in movies later on in the series, but I think this is the biggest one. <laughs> so we've got Craig Wasson as Neil Gordon, and he did a lot of TV. We've got Larry fucking Fishburne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I laughed when I saw that the other day. I was like, holy shit, Larry? Oh. Which is what Lawrence Fishburne went by back then as Max. And then we've got the actual Dream Warrior children. Patricia Arquette as Kristen Parker. This is her first movie. And yep. she went on, I always think of true romance when I think of her. Yeah. But went on to do that and a fuck ton of TV. And most people know her from Medium. Was she the one in Stigmata or was that one of her no, sisters? No, no, no. That was her. She was in Stigmata. Okay, okay. There's so many Arquettes, I mix them up sometimes. Yeah, them. can you imagine like a field party with the Arquettes and the uh, the Baldwins? <laughs> <laughs> We've got Bradley Gregg as Philip, and he was in Stand By Me and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. We've got Penelope Sudro, oh, I'm sorry, Penelope Sudro <laughs> as Jennifer. And uh, that's fucked, man, because her character's like, I'm going to be an actress. She did a little bit of TV after this, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Ira Hyden as Will, who did some TV, which I thought he was great, man. I'm I'm down with the Wizard Master. Jennifer Rubin as Taryn. About the only other thing mentionable she was in was Screamers. <laughs> and we've got Rodney Eastman as Joey, who doesn't say much, but he was a background player in Chopping Mall. <laughs> <laughs> was he really? He was. Uh, and went on to do lots of TV. And then Ken Sagos as which I hope I'm saying his last name right, is Kincaid, who's done a lot of TV, and I love him. And I'm going to hang here for a second, because, and the reason I'm going through everybody and giving them their time in the spotlight, the neat thing about this ensemble cast is it's got such a far reach because you have so many characters to either, oh, I relate to him, or I want to sleep with that one. You know, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many people <laughs> that, that, that the audience has an opportunity to identify with. Do you have a thing for the Dungeon Master? Um, I go back and forth. I like these confined <laughs> to that chair. <laughs> oh, but Kincaid's funny as shit. Yeah. I was watching never sleep again, obviously. And he's fucking <laughs> hilarious on that man. Like, yeah, his character feels a lot like him. You know what I mean? Like when you listen to him, I don't know if it's intentional, but when he's talking about those movies and he's making jokes and cracking, you know, different things at people, he, he's fucking hilarious and reminds me a lot of his character. Yeah. And I think he says, I'll never sleep again, that when he went into the audition, it was supposed to be for a big burly guy. And he's like, what the fuck? I'm not a big burly guy. What am I supposed <laughs> yeah. to do? And he was told, just show us how mean you can be. And then he cussed out Chuck Russell. <laughs> yeah. I think he said he had to run through the rain to get there and he was late and he's like, fuck you or something <laughs> like that. Like, got it. You got it. You got the job. Um, special effects in this movie. We have a fucking awesome team. Um, you've got Mark Showstrom and Kevin Yeager back again. We've got Screaming Mad George, who we've brought yep. up a couple of times before from, he did Freaked, Bridevery Animator. Let's not forget Jack Frost. Josh is always going to bring up Jack Frost. And so he's responsible for the carrot dick. Yeah. One of many. Wait, one of many people responsible for it, not one of many <laughs> carrot dicks. And 
Doug Beswick did the stop motion and mechanical effects. He was on a lot of shit, but Empire Strikes Back, Terminator, Aliens, Evil Dead 2, Beetlejuice. Like, this guy's done a lot of stop motion shit, but not Puppet Master. Because when we get to the Freddy puppet, I'm like, oh, God, I want to watch Puppet Master. But that wasn't him. (laughs) Man, that guy did some big stop motion shit then, man. Like fucking some real pioneer grassroots shit. If you look at that list, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. This guy, out of all the people in the stop motion end of things, like I feel he took the torch from Harryhausen more than anyone else. Yeah. Do you remember... Use a micro machine ATAT trying to make a stop motion movie. Yes. And I had the uh I the little missile that shot out of the fucking TIE fighter. We had pyrotechnics and everything. That shit was hard. It was. <laughs> and and we made a mess pulling taking all that gravel from the driveway and putting it in my living room floor. <laughs> I just remember your dad oh. being cool with it, so I caught shit on fire. It <laughs> was it a lo- safe fire, it was controlled. It looked good. That's all that matters. We got the shot. <laughs> We got the shots. But uh, 20 minutes in here, let's get into the movie. (laughs) So during the opening credits, we see a young girl who we're about to find out is Kristen building this paper mache wrapped house that we soon see is 1428 Elm Street. And uh, mom comes in and shuts off the radio because Kristen's fucking rocking out to docking and eating instant coffee and chasing it with Diet Coke. I don't know what's more disgusting, the instant coffee or the Diet Coke. The combination thereof. I mean, who would do that? She's like swallowing the grounds and everything. I've never looked at instant coffee and not thought of the scene, and it grosses me out just because of the scene. Exactly. But um, mom puts Kristen to bed so she can go bang her guest. Uh, who wants to know where the bourbon is? That's going to come up later. And uh, Kristen immediately wakes back up, and she looks over a headboard, and she's no longer in her bedroom. She's in the fucking front yard of the house. And the kids are jumping rope in the yard, fucking singing the song. There's a little girl riding a tricycle on the porch. Like, we're going all in in this movie. This is <laughs> this is your first sign that that's how far we're going to take this and how much the house is going to be a character from here on out. So the girl goes into the house and Kristen follows. She's like, little girl, don't go in there. And she ends up making her way down into the basement and finds the girl who gives Kristen a message. This is where it takes us. Now. I just want to bring up real quick in the original script in Nancy's opening dream, she picks up a hitchhiker and she's asking, where are you going? And she's saying, going down there. And she's going down where? Down where he fucks you. That's the, huh. o- that's the opening dialogue of the original script, just to give you an idea of Craven's mind. <laughs> <laughs> but in this one, the furnace that they're standing next to kicks on and the little girl goes, Freddy's home. And then Kristen grabs the girl and takes off to try to get out of the house. Of course, Freddy pops up and gives chase. And Kristen runs into this room that's just filled with hanging bodies. And the little girl speaks up again. Put me down, you're hurting me. I love this opening scene. Like, just the whole thing's so dark and creepy. Oh, yeah. It's so atmospheric. But uh, Kristen looks down and sees that she's holding a skeleton. Now, Mark Showstrom spent 10 weeks <laughs> making a puppet for or a prop for this shot and was told, when you're making this, think Auschwitz. And he ran with it. And then when they saw it, they're like, we can't put that on film. <laughs> yeah, they said it was too scary. And I think he said they just grabbed a toy skeleton and like paint it, spray painted it real quick and, and super glued hair on it and just shot that instead. Yes. And he's like, well, that went 10 weeks of my life. Yeah, they should. The You could see the original doll in Never Sleep Again and they should have done it, man. That, that thing was so <laughs> scary looking. It really was. But uh, Kristen immediately wakes up from the dream and she heads into the bathroom. And she goes to grab the kitchen faucet, but the 
kitchen faucet grabs that hand. And then the other, or not kitchen faucet, the bathroom faucet, it grabs her hand. And then the other faucet start, the handle thing starts to twist up and Freddy's fucking claws poke out of it. And then they start coming up out and the pipes are Freddy's arms and you see Freddy's reflection in the mirror. I love this. I love Freddy yeah. interacting and, and animating things like this. That's one of my favorite things in these movies. And uh, he slices Kristen's wrist and she spins around as her mom walks in. And in the real world, we see that Kristen's got a slit wrist and she's holding a razor blade. In the other hand, she's like, uh, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so did she sleepwalk into the bathroom or is Freddy controlling the real world? Right Man, there? you want to talk about sleepwalking? We'll get there in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll rest yeah. my case for now. <laughs> oh no, you're it's it's totally understood that the in and out of the real world just falls apart and we just have to it's like paranormal activity where you have to get to that point where it's everybody films everything, deal with it. That's just what has to happen in this too. Honestly, in this scene, I'm gonna give it a pass and she sleepwalked and he tricked her into picking up the razor and slitting her wrist. It makes sense. However, <laughs> I am not gonna let something go at the end of this movie. Okay. So off to Weston Hills we go. And we quickly see Neil and he's walking down the hall and we're very briefly introduced to a few characters as Max and Neil talk. We see Taryn who seems to be quiet. Jennifer, the smoker is like, how's it going? And is like regular menthol ultralight or whatever she says when she's pointing at the yeah. burns on her hand. And uh, we briefly see Philip in passing. That's funny. I would have said that Joey was the quiet one. <laughs> but Neil stops at a door and looks in through a window and it's what we're going to later find out is the quiet room. And we see Ken Cade sitting in the corner and then Sims pops up. She's another doctor here. And they discuss the new hotshot grad student that will soon be joining the staff. But they're interrupted by the screams of Weston Hill's latest guest. Now I'm going to hang here for a second because they're talking about Nancy. And it's mentioned that this is five years after the first film. So she's already in grad school. Help me here. <laughs> well, she's a senior in high school in the first one, right? She's 16 in the first one. Mm. yeah so she skipped some greats she's so really five smart. years after the first one or five years after freddy's revenge five years after the first one so this is simultaneously happening with freddy's revenge yeah and this is our first entry into fuck your timeline <laughs> and i'm saying that directly to bob shay <laughs> actually i'm curious when freddy's revenge happened would it have been right before this or during this I don't know. This is where it all new line just pretended that two didn't happen. I mean, a lot of people I mean, did. <laughs> in all honesty, I said that on the last episode, I said they basically ignored Freddie to going forward. Other than a few Freddie staples, they got put into place and they kept. Yeah. I mean, even Wes said, he's like, no, I'm just going to pretend two didn't happen. <laughs> but the new guest we hear screaming in the background is Kristen. And they're like, oh, she, she was fine until we tried to sedate her and she's losing her shit. And, Patricia Arquette shows right here that she could have been a full-on scream queen if she wanted yeah. to, because her screams in this movie are great. And her acting in a lot of spots in this movie are great, but not in the beginning, because her and Chuck Russell really got into it, because she couldn't remember her fucking lines. <laughs> <laughs> That's because the first thing they shot with her, if I remember correctly, they started at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they all got on set early that morning, and she hadn't been asleep yet. <laughs> she was, like, delirious, right? Yeah, they had her sit there till 4 o'clock in the morning. I want to say it was this scene, actually, was the first one they shot with her. It was. But, yeah, she she's good in the movie. I can understand how she she blew up. Oh, no, she's fantastic in this movie, and it's really hard to believe it's her first film. Yeah, but uh, she's standing there, like, telling everybody to get away from her. She picks up a scalpel, and she starts singing the fucking rhyme. 
and she gets to the end of it and can't remember the next line. And then dun, dun, dun housewife dressed Nancy walks in and finishes it. And, <laughs> and that hair, that big old hair, luckily the hair gets smaller <laughs> throughout the movie, but still. <laughs> so, uh, after Nancy finishes the rhyme, um, her and Neil have a quick chat. And we learn that Nancy's claim to fame is her research on pattern nightmares. And as she gets up to leave the conversation with Neil, she drops her purse and a pill bottle rolls out and Neil picks it up and we can quickly see that it says hypnosil. And uh, he asked her where she heard that rhyme. That was just uh, something that the kids say to keep the boogeyman away. Is hypnosil the drug from Jason versus Freddy? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I couldn't remember. I haven't seen that one in... uh, well, I guess since we did the first episode. Oh, when we covered modern slashers. Yeah, yeah. But I just couldn't remember if it was the same drug or not. Yeah, they got that right. So as Nancy walks away, Neil looks and down this like outdoor corridor, he sees this nun in white. But she's quickly uh, obscured by people walking by and is there no more. And uh, we cut to Max taking Nancy on the 25 cent tour because that's what Neil had said. You know, go see Max. He'll take you on the tour. And this is when we learn that Philip is really into puppets, but uh, he can't have a knife because, you know, he might cut himself. He has to make them out of clay and cloth and shit when they should be made out of wood. And uh, Max says that Kincaid, you won't be seeing much of him because he spends most of his time in the quiet room. Yep. And Nancy leaves Weston Hills and she goes to Kristen's house and she goes to talk to her mom and her mom's a complete dick. And she's just like, Oh, you know, have the nightmares been getting worse? And she's like, yeah, since I took away her credit cards, like it, she totally thinks it's teen angst, <laughs> you know, and that's the whole point of this movie is the adults not believe in the kids. And, uh, really it's the whole point of the franchise. Yeah. But Kristen's mom tells Nancy that she can go up to her, Kristen's room and get some of her things to take to Weston Hills. And when she goes in there, she sees the fucking house. Meanwhile, we cut to Neil at home and he's on this dope ass little computer and he's not on the internet. He's got to have some like a database of some kind that he's going through (laughs) and he looks (laughs) up hypnocell and you can see on the screen that it's an experimental drug that suppresses dreams. He could have been on that early era internet that was only accessible by universities and and doctors and stuff. Yeah. Not just for playing computer space. (laughs) So back at Weston, Kristen nods off and immediately wakes back up. And a tricycle rolls into her room and it's like bloody tire tracks and the tricycle just melts. And it's so, this movie's so much fun. It's so well balanced. That's kind of what tricycles looked like in the neighborhood I grew up in when you'd see them on the side of the road. <laughs> Covered in blood and melted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bullet holes. <laughs> oh, That I might have been it. a little dark. <laughs> <laughs> I love this town. But as Kristen walks out of her room, she goes through the door and she's straight into the house. And this is what's going to happen a lot. This is a staple now. And as soon as she's in, she sees this rotting pig set out for dinner in the little (laughs) dining room and it barks at her. And Chuck fought really hard for this pig bark. And he was told there's not enough money. We got to move on. And he's like, fuck you. And he tells the prop guys, like, go get me a real pig, cook it and put it on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Shove your hand up its ass and make its mouth move. And that's what they did. And everybody bitched about how much it stunk up the set, but he got a shot. <laughs> and uh, Fuck animatronics. <laughs> so Kristen then makes her way out of the dining room into the living room. And we see this unseen tremor style force, like go through the floor under her and up the wall and like the wall shattering and, and stuff's falling. And it's awesome. And then Freddie's giant dick bursts out of the floor. Yes. And it bites her feet first, (laughs) slams her down on the ground. (laughs) And we'll get into some details about this penis in a second. (laughs) 
Uh, the snake literally starts devouring her feet first, and she screams for Nancy. And we see Nancy stand up from this chair where she was chilling, and she kind of faints and falls into the chair and disappears. And it looks cool. And she bursts through this mirror on the wall into the dining room or into the living room there with Kristen. And she immediately picks up a shard of glass from the mirror, runs over and stabs the big penis snake in the eye. And uh, the penis snake spits out Kristen and then locks eyes with Nancy. And Freddie goes, you. And Nancy's like, oh, fuck. And just grabs Kristen and says, run, because she knows exactly what's going on. I fucking love every part of this because the giant Freddy snake is pure nightmare fuel. It is. And it looks great. Like, it looks like Freddy's fucking face. And and just the fact that it's actually a prop swallowing Patricia Arquette looks badass. And honestly, I never thought it looked like a dick. But when you watch any documentary, they make jokes about it. And apparently that was intentional. Yeah, yeah. That the, They were told to make it phallic. And then once once it was seen, it was like, dude, you made it look like a dick. And it's like, dude, you t- it's the Auschwitz thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs> So then they like painted it because it was even skin colored, right? Yes. So it wouldn't look as much like a dick. I just saw a giant Freddy snake, but apparently I never realized there was a lot of homosexual things in, in Freddy's <laughs> Revenge. So apparently I just suck. But I don't know. I think it looks cool. It was creepy as shit. It was pretty original. And yeah. you get to see Kristen's power like right here. And yeah. it just was such a cool idea for the franchise. No, that that shot of the snake when it's when you see that it's the Freddy face or Nancy sees it and it talks to this day, that still creeps me out. Like, yeah, like that. I buy that it existed in the real world. (laughs) And that's once again, that's what practical effects fucking do. I mean, uh, I'm assuming if I hit play right now on the movie, it would look not like how I remember it in my head. But anytime the movie's over, I picture that it looks just like Robert England talking with a snake body. Yeah. Only creepier. (laughs) But the almighty fucking Kristen, which kind of, anyways, they head into the next room and Kristen pulls them both out of the dream. If it's that easy, why don't you do it more often? Well, she could, but that's another, that's another story. The, uh, the penis snake rig, you know, they built four of them. The one that, that actually ate her, the, the lips would roll up and it would look like it was gumming her. So that's why they shot it in reverse. So it looked like it was actually eating her. But uh, the idea for the Freddy snake was actually from Craven's original script, where in one of Heather's nightmares, Neil was going to turn into the Freddy snake and eat her. Huh? Yeah. There's just, just a few little tidbits like that. I want to throw in here. So the next day, Nancy tells Kristen about her house because she's like holding the fucking model house from Kristen's house. She's like, I used to live in this house. She's like, are you telling me the man in my dreams is real? <laughs> like, yes. Like, oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> and uh, we get to see the kids in group. And in group, we finally meet Will, who's in a wheelchair because he had an accident. <laughs> He's like, hi, I'm Will. As you can see, I had a little accident. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be straight talk in here. You took a jump. (laughs) And uh, we learned that Jennifer wants to be an actress and that Joey doesn't say shit. (laughs) Nope. Um, More importantly, Philip brings up the fact that they all dreamed about the same guy before they were all brought there. And Dr. Sims continues to blame sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Great. Nass, my dick is killing me. (laughs) So we do a lot of jumping around here to get shit set up. So uh, what makes the most logical sense now? Let's cut to Neil and Nancy at dinner. And Nancy tells Neil that the, the kids are in real physical danger in their dreams and that she recommends that he puts them on hypnosil. And Neil's like, what the? F- no, you want me to put these kids on an experimental drug? I'm not doing this. 
Meanwhile, back over at Weston, we, after some D&D, the, uh, the kids head to bed. Of course, in the movie, it's the Wizard Master, but it's fucking right. D&D. <laughs> through and through. I know the actor said that he'd been preparing for this role his whole life. Lots <laughs> of D&D played. Exactly. So we see Philip conk out. And we see the unfinished clay-headed puppet on the wall morph into Freddy. And it reaches up and cuts itself down and goes to the foot of the bed and then grows up into full-size Freddy. And what follows is probably the most creative kill in the entire series and probably the origin of my inability to handle wrist stuff. (laughs) I agree on that. (laughs) Freddy slices Philip's arms and legs open and pulls out his fucking veins and uses them as strings to puppeteer Philip. And he walks him through locked doors up to the tower. And by this point, Joey is seeing this out the window because he had first watch in the room with Will. And it's not like Joey's going to go tell anyone what's going on. So he's like grabbing a food tray and banging all the doors open and gets everybody gathered out this window to watch up on the tower. What ensues with Philip? So Freddie's got him puppeteered right up to the edge and he just slices the veins and that flings Philip right off the edge to fall to his death. That's fucked up. So the next day, the kids are brought into group, you know, straight talk only in this room to talk about what just happened. You know, Neil saying everybody's going to get their feelings out in the open about this. And the kids all immediately blame Freddie. Right. They don't name him because they don't know his name. They're just they keep talking about how they're seeing the same guy in their dreams. And Sims and Neil are both like, no, Philip committed suicide. That's an empty thing. That's a sad thing. He gave up and he gave up on all of us. And, uh. The kids are real adamant, and uh, first they try to say it's a sleepwalking incident, and Will's like, uh-uh, his eyes were wide open all the way down, and then they say, oh, well, then it was suicide, that's even worse, and the kids yeah. are getting fucking mad about this, and to the point where Sims just says, fuck it, I'm starting nightly sedation, and Kincaid loses it. You just fought yourself a night in the quiet room, mister, now sit down! Fuck you! You sit up! Easy, Kincaid! Nobody gonna put me to sleep! So, of course, after the outburst, Kincaid's dragged out of the room, and, uh, Neil just suddenly tells Sims, like, I'm going to put the kids on hypnosil. And Sims is like, I-, I know what that is, and I'm totally against it. And Neil's like, well, then I'll go over your head. And and if uh, I forget the director's name, he's not important. And uh, but, he, but Neil <laughs> does say that if the director doesn't go for it, he can accept his resignation. And Sims like, all right, but if it goes wrong, it's your head. And uh, what we're supposed to understand at this point of why Neil has such a quick change of heart is a his love for the kids because he's really trying to help and be right. his love for Nancy sweet ass. Cause they're already banging in the original script at this point, And that's why he's so quick to do whatever Nancy says. Really? I'm glad they cut that out. I am too. It's overt in the original script and unnecessary. I never even got that vibe. Like this whole movie. I never even get the vibe that either one of them's attracted to the other one. Yeah. Even when they're having dinner in the living room, it's like on the couch and not candlelit bullshit. It's right. Yeah. I, I'm totally fine with Neil caring about the kids and he and doesn't know what it, else yeah. to do. Yeah. So we cut to Kincaid in the corner of the quiet room and he's ain't gonna dream no more, no more. <laughs> I love that part. And we see Jennifer in the TV room and Max busts her ass, but she convinces him to let her stay. And uh, she's flipping through the channels and goes tray diving, which any smoker or ex-smoker who's been poor has been there. And uh, (laughs) she finds her something left on a cigarette and she gets it lit and she starts burning herself to stay awake. But I don't think she was quick enough because all of a sudden the TV starts changing channels on its own. And uh, we were on the Dick Cavett show with Zsa Zsa Gabor. And all of a sudden Dick Cavett turns into Freddy and goes to fucking slice (laughs) 
Jaja, and then the TV goes to static. And Jennifer gets up and starts walking towards the TV like, you know, this thing's busted. You know, what do you do? You go beat on it. So she's on her way to do that, obviously. And she gets up to it. And in the static, you hear like the weird background voices and stuff like in Poltergeist and it's fuck creepy as shit. And all of a sudden, Freddy's mechanical arms burst out of the sides of the TV. His vacuum formed head comes up out of the top and he's got the antenna on top of his head like antenna. (laughs) This so walks the line of being in just dumb and fucking awesome. And I think it's fucking awesome. And he picked. He picks her up and he goes, hey, Jennifer, here it is. Your big break in TV. And he smashes her head into the fucking TV and the TV's mounted like up high. So her legs are kind of dangling a bit. So to write this one off as a suicide, a little iffy. (laughs) I know. I know. She get a fucking run and start and dive in. No, uh, Dick Cavett claims that he was asked, who do you want to be your guest on the show that you turn into Freddy and kill? And he's like, Zsa she is the dumbest fucking person I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> yeah, and he'd love to see her get killed or something. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of hostility there. <laughs> oh, so after this, we're at Jennifer's funeral and uh, Neil gets approached by this same nun in white again. And this time they actually talk a little bit. And he's like, oh, I've seen you here before. And and you do some volunteer work. And she's like, oh, well, I'm here when I'm needed. And through conversation, she ends up saying that only one thing can save the children. The unquiet spirit must be laid to rest. Is it? It is an abomination to God and man. We better get the Winchesters in your stat. Yeah, I know. What the fuck is she talking about? Because like before, I got to talk like the movie's new. But anyways, <laughs> God, I love where this movie goes. And where this movie goes is not what Wes wrote. And I love where it went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Them bringing Christianity into it and everything. Yes. I mean, this is him actually becoming the dream demon is this movie, right? Full on. So we cut back to Neil's house and she shows Neil her Balinese dream doll, even though she says it's Malaysian. Anyone who feels like getting as mad as me, look it up. And uh, of course, this harkens back to the first movie when Johnny Depp was saying, have you heard about the Balinese way of dreaming? Blah, 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 blah. Balinese people are from Bali. It's an island. Malaysia's way north. There are Balinese people there, but when you say Balinese, you do- anyways, <laughs> you have some weird fucking hills to die on, brother. I know, right? Like I should be a geography teacher or something. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but uh, she basically convinces Neil to let her take the lead with the kids. Like next group, let me hold the reins. You know, we got to save these kids. These kids. It's all about the kids. And so the next day in group, she just flat out tells the kids about Freddy, like starts describing him. This is the guy you've been seeing. And they're all like fucking gray hair, gray, poofy hair woman actually knows what she's talking about. And uh, because she does, she's got the poof and the gray. And anyways, old people with gray in their hair. No shit. Okay. (laughs) Do they? now? She also says that they're the last of the Elm Street children. So that tells us what's going on. Okay, here we go. Freddy's on a mission. That's why they're all seeing him. Cool. The original idea in Craven's script was that the kids were from all over the country and were supernaturally drawn to the same city and didn't know why and then found out that they all had dream powers. And it was like a big, well, for lack of a better word, supernatural type thing where they were unknowingly drawn together to be the good dream warriors that would do the final battle with Freddy. I hate to say it, but this was better. Um, I agree. And now what's fucked up is he also made it a point that the kids were ages 13 to 17. Yeah. That's a little young for some of the shit that goes down in both scripts. 
But anyways, so the group all goes under together with this little watch the pendulum hypnosis thing, but it doesn't seem to work. And Joey buggers off to see Hello Nurse because we saw him checking her out when Neil was doing his walk down the hall. And uh, Nancy's like, you know, well, let's just take a break and we'll try again. And Neil's playing with a Newton's cradle. And then all of a sudden the balls just fly off the strings and start floating around the room. Holy shit. I hate it when that happens to me. (laughs) When your balls fly across the room. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's okay because the wizard master can manipulate your balls and turn them into a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but we do see the kind of a realization for us of what the kids dream powers are because will can walk and is the wizard master Kristen, Kristen's a yemnist she thank you <laughs> thank you hopefully by this point people will realize why i said penelope earlier <laughs> <laughs> kincaid is strong as fuck and starts bending up a chair taryn's a punker kinda i don't like the the shark fin mohawk i've never liked those kind of mohawks but whatever <laughs> it looked badass <laughs> and she likes to play with knives and we got her infamous lines like in my dreams i'm bad and beautiful yeah. or i probably just said it backwards but in never sleep again heather langan's camp she's like it's one of those lines of dialogue that you see and you just don't know how you're gonna pull that off on film <laughs> <laughs> and she's right <laughs> I got a question for you, and you might have the answer for this. When did the Nightmare on Elm Street Nintendo game come out? We're going to get to that at the end. Okay, okay. Because the the dream powers, right? Like, this this isn't the game, right? So it had to have been roughly around here. It was right after this, the Nintendo game and the Commodore 64 game. So all the kids are having a happy good time about how cool they are in their dreams in one room. Meanwhile, across the hall, Joey is fixing to experience for what a lot of young males were in this movie's first masturbation scene. Um, <laughs> I love when the chick that played the nurse says that in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> or, is it, or is it the guy that played Joey brings it up? I don't remember. But anyways, it's brought up in Never Sleep Again. It's like, you know, a lot of young men say that this scene was the first time they touched themselves in an inappropriate manner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> So hello nurse seduces Joey. She's like, unzip me. I've been watching you. You're so cute. And she gets, starts getting naked and they start making out and uh, they get a little tongue tied. And all of a sudden, hello nurse starts <laughs> spitting out these tongues that tie Joey to the bed. And then the mattress falls out underneath him and he's floating over a pit of fire. My dad jokes are rubbing off on you. <laughs> then, uh, we go from one shot of the nurse leaning out of the, the, out of the frame and the camera spins around and it's Freddie. And they wanted to do the whole morph thing and they actually shot it with the actress with the Freddy Krueger makeup. And so you got Freddy with Mm-mm. boobs Mm-mm. and everyone agreed on set that it didn't work. And they were fucking right. Cause when you see the stills from it, it's like, I'm uncomfortable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not in a good Especially way. Especially if you just touched yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Joey's fucked. Let's go back over to the straight talk room. And that room is now bursting into flames and the fucking walls are closing in like a Star Wars trash compactor and shit. And uh, it's really fucked and they're all going to die. And then Sims opens the door and she wakes them all up except for Joey because he's now in a coma. So Weston Hills director immediately fires both Neil and Nancy. He's like, two kids are dead. This kid's in a coma. I got to look like I'm doing something to keep my shit straight. You're both fired. (laughs) It's not a good look for them. That's not. <laughs> and so as Neil's loading up his things from his office in his car, 
he sees the nun up in the locked tower because when we saw it's the same tower that we saw Philip in and we saw Philip go through the locked doors to get there. And so he goes and he breaks the lock off the door and he makes his way up to the top and uh, the nun spills the beans. So what we learn through conversation is that the wing they're standing in is where they used to house the criminally insane. And what's even worse is over the holidays, a young nurse was accidentally locked in with a hundred maniacs and they repeatedly raped her and kept her and hit her for days. And when she was found later, she was nearly dead and preggers. And her name was Amanda Kruger. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and that child was, of course, Freddie. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so now that we know that the nun in white is Amanda Kruger, she goes on to tell Neil that he needs to find the remains and bury them in hallowed ground. And she disappears. And she doesn't like just poof away. She goes, she walks through a door and the door closes on its own. And, and when Neil looks, she's gone. But it's, it's so obvious, okay, <laughs> to everyone watching. But anyways, they try to be sly about it and it doesn't work. So Neil tells Nancy about his run in with Amanda Kruger, which he doesn't know this yet. <laughs> but we all know. We all fucking know. And uh, what is it? Sister Mary Helen or Sister Mary Helena? Something is her name in Christ. But anyways, I'm just going to keep calling her the nun. So Neil tells Nancy about the conversation with the nun. And uh, Nancy says that only one man knows where Freddy's remains are. What? <laughs> and it's time for him to talk. And he's a rent-a-cop now. <laughs> so they head to Little Nemo's barn to see security guard daddy. <laughs> and he's drinking. And he's a dick. And he won't help. <laughs> <laughs> it goes by pretty quick. And then Neil gets paged as they're going to leave and calls back uh, Weston Hills. And the kids say that uh, Kristen's been sedated. She's in the quiet room. We're fucked. Come help us, please. And Neil tells Nancy and Nancy's like, shit, I'll go. And she heads back to Weston Hills. And uh, do we need to explain what a pager is? I think some doctors still have them. They do, actually. OK, moving on. <laughs> so Neil decides to nut up and tells daddy that they're going to go on a scavenger hunt. I like most of this scene, except for Neil getting like all tough and roughing up John Saxon at the beginning. I'm like, no, this isn't right. It doesn't even like seem fitting at all. Well, and this is part of what's fucked up because he, he pins him up against the post and he's like, I don't know if you love Nancy, but I do. Really? You've known her like three days. It's because they're boning. See, 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 it's, it's still sprinkled in there. So they head off to the junkyard and do their best lost boys because they stop off to steal some holy water and a crucifix. Yep. And uh, they're off on their mission. So let's go back to Weston Hills and see what's going on. Max won't let Nancy see Kristen. And because, you know, Max, he's like everybody else, man. They're, they're, they think they're helping the kids and they're, they're actually trying. But uh, so on the one hand, he won't let her see Kristen, but he does agree to let her say goodbye to the other kids. And yeah. by the others, I mean Will, Taryn, and Kincaid, because that's all that's left. Joey's yep. trapped. Everybody else is dead. So they go to have what is one last group in the straight talk room, and they put themselves under, and we dive into the third act. So just as they go under, we see Kristen falling asleep in the quiet room, and now they're all pulled into the quiet room. Of course, Nancy was saying, everybody think of, of the quiet room, the soft padded walls, blah, 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 blah. Because the whole pulling people in and out of dreams and teleporting shit is heavy in Craven's script. It's very underused by comparison in this. In Craven's script, it gets ridiculous. I still feel like it's used quite a bit, and I don't know if we stress this enough for anyone who hasn't seen this film, which I, I doubt there's very many people out there, but that, <laughs> that's something that Kristen does. Kristen can just straight up pull you into a dream. Yeah, that's her real dream power. 
that and her being a gymnast. <laughs> and that's going to come into play later. It will. So once they're all in the quiet room, Freddie immediately starts slashing through the walls and the floor and everything. And Kristen is suddenly back in her bedroom. And I like how it does this because we're fixing to visit individual characters. And as it cuts back to them being in another location, there's a little wisp of the feathers from the padded walls, which is cheesy as hell. But it's still it works. No, that's a nice detail. Totally okay with it. So Kristen's back home working on the house, rocking out to Dawkin. Rocking like (laughs) Dawkin. Mom comes in and puts her to bed. But this time when mom doesn't get the bourbon fast enough, Freddie decapitates her and her severed head bitches at Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I can't keep a man, Kristen. (laughs) It's so well done. It's awesome. And you get to see Freddie in a tux. Yes. The only time you see this. And uh, Kristen does a backflip off the wall to evade a a strike from Freddy and dives out the window, but busts through a window back into the house, because that's how this is going to happen from now on. Doors, windows, beds, just don't just float. Just float. You'll be fine. You won't you won't end up. That's not true either, (laughs) because then Freddy will just pick up the whole fucking house. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, it is cool to see. Finally, in these movies, kids actually doing something with their dreams, though. Because, I mean, in your dream, you can do whatever the fuck you want, too. And that was just totally ignored in the first two films. Yep. So we get another feather poof, and we see Taryn all punked out and in this dank, dark alley. And Freddy pops up, and they have a brief knife fight, where in an interview with her, she says that she actually cut Robert England during that. I mean, this is New Line. I don't know how cheap they were. I know there's only two gloves because we're about to talk about the retractable glove that doesn't exist. But instead of a nice, long, elaborate knife fight, Freddie has another idea. Let's get hard. <laughs> and he, he does the two arm thing and he's got the fucking finger needles. And I love this part, man. You get the shot of her arms and the little, the little, little mouths like, give me needle. It's so grotesque. It's awesome. They remind me of the lichen from labyrinth with the effects <laughs> i think chuck russell said this was like his anti-drug campaign right yeah, like, like totally. in this scene right here and uh so freddie pumps her full of presumably meth because that's what gets said by the asshole orderly guy when he tries to get in taryn's pants like i got pharmaceutical grade amphetamines or whatever anyways not important um but it's enough for us to know that she's an ex-junkie it's also implied that that's the alley she'd go get her drugs from yeah. before she was locked up. So he pumps her full of fucking drugs until her head explodes. But that didn't happen because the prop never worked. <laughs> <laughs> so another feather poof, which I'm not ragging on it. I think it's neat. It's at least it's yeah. not just a fucking hard cut. Exactly. It's just there to like soften the cut. I feel like. Yeah. And I don't have to say, meanwhile, 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 because in my opinion, this is all happening at the same time. And that's why Freddie's so weak. He's stretched a little thin. He needs some underlings and some upper management. And he's popping some BLs at a pool party right now, apparently, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Parallel timelines. <laughs> so Will is in this long-ass hallway, and Freddie sends an Iron Maiden wheelchair down the hall after him. And I don't mean that it's like singing the trooper or anything. I mean, like an actual Iron Maiden with all the fucking spikes and shit. <laughs> I hate to make two references in 60 seconds. No, I don't. But I immediately thought, the cleaners. Ah. (laughs) Oh, that works too. Now, when Freddie starts talking here, why does he sound like fucking fly to the navigator? Have you ever noticed that? Hey, Will, you look tired. 
why don't you sit down? Like, it sounds just <laughs> like, and isn't the, the ship in Fly Navigator named Max? Or is that the little, uh, I don't the little guy? Anyways, when the ship talks and Fly the Navigator, this is exactly what Freddy sounds like when he says that line. It bothers the shit out of me. I'm going to have to go back and watch some clips later because I don't even remember him saying it funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so weird. But uh, after dodging the first pass of the chair, Will's like, wait a second, I'm the fucking wizard master. And he stands up and he's got the fucking cape on and shit. And he says the magic lines that we heard earlier when they were playing D&D. Uh, what's the line? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, in in the name of 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 somebody, King of Elves, I don't Demon incites the power of some deity and starts shooting yeah. fucking magic missile out of his fingertips. And uh, <laughs> did I say that he blew up the chair? Did I did I go right past? Nah, that? it's fucking irrelevant. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Freddy doesn't believe in fairy tales and fucking picks him up and stabs him in the heart. And I have to bring this up because this makes me mad. The actor, whose name I've done forgotten, talks about how the retractable gloves weren't working that day and they taped a two by four to his chest. And luckily, Robert England didn't miss. Sorry, they used the prop glove and the hero glove. The prop glove has fucking plastic uh, knives on it and the other one's metal for when they needed to make noise or actually scratch on stuff and in some of the movies you can see like when Robert England rubs his nose with the prop glove and the end of it goes because it's fucking yeah. rubberized plastic there was never a retractable bladed fucking glove well, <laughs> that kid's done drugs anyways that's another <laughs> sticky point for me man I hate that story so back to Nancy Kristen and Kincaid they end up all running into each other in one of the rooms of the house and this fucking floating door appears and it's awesome. I love the shot. I love the camera work around the floating door and how they're talking about it's a door to nowhere. And Nancy's like, oh, no, it goes somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she kind of gives him a final warning like this. This is for keeps. You know, if you die, you're dead. Is everybody ready? And they open the door and they head down into the boiler room. And once they're down there, they see Joey still tongue tied over the fire. <laughs> <laughs> and they tell Freddie to let him go. And he's like, as you wish or whatever he says, he starts cutting the tongues. <laughs> But Nancy manages to grab him just in time as he falls down in the hole. But Kincaid's pipe bashing and Nancy's pipe stabbing do nothing to Freddy. And Nancy even comments like he's strong. He's never been this strong before. And that's when Freddy Krueger cuts his shirt open to reveal the souls of the children that give him strength. And this is the first time we get that. And this is awesome, too. Yep. The more he kills, the stronger he gets. He's just he's like taxes. The more you're asked to pay, the more they're going to ask for. But then all of a sudden, Freddy just disappears because meanwhile, over at the junkyard, <laughs> security guard daddy says it's the caddy and Neil goes over and he gets the bag of bones out of the caddy. And Freddy is like, oh, oh shit, somebody just walked over my grave type thing. <laughs> yeah, he disappears. And you want to talk about real world dream world it all goes out the window here because freddie possesses his fucking skeleton to give us an awesome jason and the argonauts scene <laughs> and it is cool but it makes me so mad that everybody cries including wes craven about freddie's revenge and how freddie's manipulating the real world at the pool party and he can't do anything outside of dreams except for when he fucking controls his own skeleton and fights somebody <laughs> And you know what's funny? It still doesn't look as good as Jason and the Argonauts, man. They did. I've <laughs> never actually watched that movie, but I've seen the clip so many times and it's, it's so amazing looking in all seriousness. But it does look better than Army of Darkness. Parts. Yeah. <laughs> Army of Darkness is all over the place with theirs. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Why does daddy have the uh, key to the junkyard? 
Nancy says that he's the one who knew where he was buried. I I also, know, but does he own the fucking junkyard? <sighs> Maybe that's where he's a security guard. Oh. I'm reaching. Oh, no, I'm no. This is, this is good. I like this. <laughs> Actually, in the original script, no. <laughs> None of this happens in the original <laughs> script. But uh, in this stop motion fight, Daddy ends up getting impaled on one of the fins of the Cadillac. And Neil gets knocked the fuck out with the shovel because they were digging the grave. And then Freddy Skeleton goes, roar, 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 <laughs> and collapses. <laughs> and that part's stupid, <laughs> no matter how you I slice know. it. You forgot the so important part about where he chunked like a couple handfuls of dirt on Neil. <laughs> like he was burying him alive. I don't even know what the fuck he was supposed to be doing there. He's like, let me just sprinkle you some dirt. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's stupid, but I'm okay with that part. So back at the dream world, now that they've got Joey, they're, they're trapped in this hall of mirrors. And this is the kids and Nancy. Oh, and I'm going to reference this scene later in the next film. Okay. And then, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. So Freddy starts appearing in all these mirrors. And it goes from bad to worse because the Freddies start reaching in and grabbing everybody until Joey's left cowering in the corner. And Joey all of a sudden lets out a scream and all the mirrors shatter and everybody falls back out of the mirrors that they had been pulled into. And uh, Kincaid congratulates Joey. It's like, you found your dream power, man. And uh, Nancy's like, he's gone. It's over. How the fuck would Nancy know? Kristen's the psychic one. <laughs> <laughs> and Nancy cannot be the judge of when this is over. Hell for no, the record. she can't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, sparkly floating daddy appears. And uh, he tells Nancy, he's like, I've crossed over, princess. And they embrace. And then daddy stabs her in the stomach. No. <laughs> and it's Freddie. And it's fucking painfully obvious, even as a kid, that this is what was fixed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've already seen Fred Krueger turn into fucking pixie dust once. Yeah. You can't trust the pixie dust, man. <laughs> nope. But uh, of course, he's revealed to be Freddy to everyone. And he goes after Kristen. But before he gets Kristen, Nancy springs up, reaches over him and makes him stab himself in the stomach with his own fucking glove, which that I liked. Meanwhile, Neil comes to at the makeshift grave site. He slings the bones into the grave, splashes them with holy water, and puts the, the crucifix on his forehead. And in the dream world, we see the uh, cleansing light, uh, is what I'm going to call it, burst out of Freddy Krueger, and the, the cross appear on his forehead. Oh, yeah, it looks so cool. The cross on his, they built that, that's not, they built a rig of Freddy's fucking head and shit, and actually had a light inside it. Okay, that's why it looks so good. That's why, yeah, that's why it looks so good. But uh, he twirls around into a flash of light, and he's gone. <laughs> weak sauce. No pixie dust. Dude, this is weak sauce, but what Craven wrote is so much worse. <laughs> I didn't think it was weak sauce. I liked it that it killed him, other than, I don't remember a junkyard ever being hollowed ground, but you know. <laughs> he blessed it with the stolen holy water. He blessed the skeleton. He didn't bless the ground. <laughs> so one of the best things as far as acting goes out of Patricia Arquette, she uh, grabs Nancy and she's rocking her and crying. She's like, I'm going to dream you into a beautiful dream forever and ever. That is from the original script. Oh, I bet she could do that. Yeah. So at Nancy's funeral, which we quickly jump to, Neil sees the nun again off in the distance. And he's like, nice funeral. And just fucking runs off. <laughs> like, it's kind of rude. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and, uh, he cuts around the corner to where he thinks the nun is, and instead he finds a tombstone that reads Amanda Krueger. Dun, dun, dun. Anyways. 
<laughs> That's weak sauce. So then we cut to Neil at home in bed with the paper mache house and the Balinese dream doll sitting next to him. And an upstairs light comes on in the, the paper mache house and we get credits. I do have a couple more behind the scenes things, but on the movie as itself, it's tied with the first one for my favorite because the first one's my favorite because it's so original and you have to respect it. But this movie takes everything in every direction as far as you can without it fucking it up so well. And I feel like this one is most commonly said to be people's favorite Yep, as well. And it even spawned a music video, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Several actually. Did you watch the Dokken music video? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like recently. Um, piece, I watched pieces of it recently. I, I watched it the other night. I mean, they did a lot of original scenes for the video and had like almost the whole cast in there. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Like on a technical level, I don't mean I'm a huge <laughs> Dokken fan or anything. It's a catchy song, though. Yeah, it's better than what they did for the music video they did for Legend to where just scenes from the movie play in the background while dude sings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I fucking loved it, man. And it it took Freddy in the funny MTV direction without taking away the scare factor. Because like I said, the fucking Freddy snake, Freddy doing the thing with the faucet or the water handle things with Kristen, like the interacting stuff like that. That's the shit that scares me out of this movie. The fucking marionette scene. Yeah. Yeah. This shit makes you not want to go to sleep. Some people say it was too fucking funny, but I think it was still terrifying. Now, just a couple of quick things, because I don't want to stay stuck on this. But in the original script, Nancy is literally dreamed into a beautiful dream for eternity by Kristen. And Neil even says that he goes to visit her in his dreams. That's pretty cool. It was it sets up this thing that Nancy is now eternal in the dream world and there to protect everyone. Would you say that she guards a gate? In the yeah, dream world? Yeah, yeah, there you go. The dumbest thing in Craven's script. I'm sorry, but I have to bring it up. The whole premise of it is that they find Freddy's original house, and it's this ranch house, and the house morphs into Freddy, like literally, like him and the house are the same thing, and the act of burning down Freddy in the house will end it forever. But when that plan fails, Nancy goes to Kristen and says, oh yeah, I forgot, turn your back on him and say this. And they turn their backs and Mm-mm. say, you're nothing, you're shit, and he disappears. That is terrible fucking writing. <laughs> what they did in this movie, <laughs> twirling, spinning around and all, is still so much better. I promise this is the last thing. <laughs> and I'll just read, if you want a fun read, read the original script, but it's out there. And this right here kind of sums up where Craven went with it. There's a scene in the original script where Freddy turns into an alligator and bites off Sim's head. That's not the fucked up part. Fucked up part about this is he does this after he fist Kincaid. Mm-mm. Yeah. What is up with Craven? <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and let, sexual assault. And let me let me put a bow on this. These are the kind of one-liners we got in his script. This is a quote. Cunt, I'll shit on your corpse. Yes. I saw that on the documentary. That's the one I was talking about earlier. So I know I've said before, like Craven said in an interview, that they stole a script from him and everything. I love this movie. And I'm completely okay that it's not your script that got made. I know. <laughs> Because it's a fun fucking ride. This was the first nationally released Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It opened at number one, first one to do that. And it was one of the highest grocers, if not the highest return on investment, because it was shot for 4.5 and made 44.7. And that just goes to show that people love Freddy. And what do you do when, when they love the character and you're three deep into your franchise? You let them die for good. Yeah. 
No, you make another movie that comes out a year later, just like the first fucking three. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> and of course, I'm referring to A Night Run on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. This is like the, the Halloween 4 and 5 to me. It's like the, the one <laughs> continual story shoved in the middle of a franchise, right? Exactly. And they play very much off of each other. And honestly, it's my favorite two movies in the franchise outside of the original. And this one was directed by Rennie Harlan, who was a Finnish director who had done a low-budget horror movie called Prison before this. And he moved to California to get a directing gig. And New Line was having a hard time picking a director, but they didn't want him originally, right? And he basically showed up at the office every day in the same clothes. They said getting dirtier and smellier every day because he was living <laughs> out of a motel and practically homeless and no money and would ask to talk to Bob every day until it got to the point where they're like, we don't have a fucking director yet. We need somebody. We got to get going. We'll just take Rennie, right? <laughs> so they hired him to do the job. And the only person that I knew of that they were trying hard to get was the guy that directed The Gate. And I can't think of his name right now, but they were oh, trying really? to get him originally. Yeah. And Rennie moved on to do Die Hard 2 almost directly after this. He did The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, right, which has oh. a nice Robert England cameo. Long Kiss Goodnight, Deep Blue Sea, Exorcist, The Beginning, and The Covenant. Right? Like, this guy did some good movies after no this. Shit. Like, he got a good start off of this. And that might make you ask what happens sometime in this movie, but we'll get there in a second. <laughs> the writers. Okay. So, we have, of course, Wes Craven is credited as created by, right? Because it's yeah. his franchise. We had William Kotzwinkle do the story by credit loosely. I'll explain that in a minute. He didn't do much else after this. Brian Helgland and the Wheat Brothers did the screenplay loosely. Like I said, I'll get there. But Brian <laughs> hadn't really done anything before this, but he wrote 976 Evil, which was directed by Robert England, Highway to Hell, A Knight's Tale, The Order, Assassins, what? Postman, Payback. Like he did all those screenplays. So okay. he moved on to do a lot. And then Jim and Ken Wheat wrote The Fly 2, Birds 2, Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, like all that shit, right? Ah, uh, that's why I know those names. So everybody that had something to do with this movie moved on to do a lot of other stuff. And the reason why I said loosely on the writing, this movie had just the base outline written and the writer strike happened. So you have to use, you know, union screenplay writers, but you're not allowed to use them right now. So they <laughs> shot a movie without it being fully written and just used an outline and, like, all the nightmares actually came from nightmares Rennie had, and he just threw them in the fucking movie without it being written. And that's why this movie, like, has so many successful people behind the scenes, but sometimes feels like it's kind of all over the place. And I think it's just because you didn't have the writer to, to do everything professionally, and I'm sure that affected the budget and production in so many other ways. There was no glue. <laughs> right, right, right. The cast, we have Robert England returning as Freddy Krueger, of course, and I think this is the first film where he got top billing. Oh, and we have Kristen played by Tuesday night because they couldn't get Patricia Arquette back. You can Google all you want. You can find interviews from anybody involved. Nobody actually fucking knows why Patricia Arquette didn't come back. Yeah, so I don't weird. know why somebody doesn't just ask her, but you know, <laughs> but Tuesday night had done a bunch of stuff. When I looked at her IMDb, nothing jumped out to me, but I did want to say she sings the theme song for this movie. Run it from his nightmare. 
Exactly. It's super catchy and it fits the era so perfectly. And it's cool yes. that she did the theme song because I couldn't find where she was like a pop singer or anything. Like she just seems to have done the theme song for this movie. <laughs> it's fucked up. Which is kind of interesting. And Bob Shea was like, oh, I don't have to pay her again. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to cover New Line Cinema by itself and just uh, Bob. No. Um, how do we meet Bob Shea? If we got somehow where we could start interviewing celebrities, I swear I think Bob Shea would maybe be the first person I'd want to interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> you can hear some crazy stories on that guy. But anyways, we have a new ensemble cast, and I would say the main new lead would be Alice, played by Lisa Wilcox. Just like Tuesday, she has done a lot of shit, and nothing jumped out to me except for the fact that she played Missy on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, the TV show. Which Ever. I never knew fucking existed. I was like to say, everybody remembers that show. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a show. I'll be honest. I, I listened to an interview with her for, for the next movie, and she went on a whole thing about it, and I'm like, this existed? <laughs> Which is really funny, because we're both huge Bill and Ted fans, so much that I had to cut like a 20-minute segment out of the last episode <laughs> where we went on a rant about it, and I had no clue the show existed. But I did see that she wrote hashtag stop the nightmare as a short film. And I started seeing names of lots of cast members from the nightmare franchise, including Heather in this short film. So I decided to watch it. It's on YouTube. It's like a song. It's like two and a half minute song. Have you seen it? Yes. I, I, I ran across it and then was going to put it in the next movie. And then I read it and I'm like, eh. <laughs> so I'm glad I, you saw I it, too. it. It's, it's it's using the Freddie lullaby, but about COVID. Yeah. And for people to just stop doing stupid shit, basically, so we can get past the pandemic. And I don't know. It was kind of interesting, but it was it was neat bumping into that by accident. It was like a good accidental discovery. <laughs> just like our next character, Rick, played by Andrus Jones, who wasn't in a whole lot else, except for the fact that he's Jeff fucking Martin in Night Trap. Thank God you went there. <laughs> <laughs> Which that might mean absolutely nothing to everyone else in the world. But to Josh and I, that's badass. Yeah, because he would have been, since they filmed Night Trap so early, back before it even made it to coming out, he was in that before this, actually, even though the game was after this. <laughs> we might have to chronologically write out the story to Night Trap someday just so we can cover it. <laughs> Dude, I'm totally down with that. We're going to have to fail the game a whole lot to be able to write this out, too. <laughs> this is a pretty big cast. I'm going to try to hammer through this. We have Dan, the new jock hero-like character, played by Danny Hassel, because they couldn't think of a name for him, so they just used his real one. <laughs> I saw in an interview, he's like, do they think I'm a shitty actor and I can't respond to any name besides my own? I liked him in this movie, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like him. I just picture him trying to, like, pick up chicks. He's like, hi, I'm Dan. I play Dan. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't really in a whole lot else outside of this movie, which I thought was really odd because he's a really strong actor, I feel like, in this film. Yeah. Like, I felt like he could have gone on to do a bunch more stuff. Totally. And they have a friend named Debbie who's played by Brooke Thies, and she was in a shit ton of TV shows and still doing them, I think. And Sheila, played by... Toy Newkirk, and once again, in lots of TV, but nothing jumped out. And from what I could see, she produces a lot of television now. So oh. she's moved to behind the camera. And Joey and Kincaid from the previous film stopped by. Briefly. <laughs> Very briefly. The special effects in this movie. Jeez, there's so many people in here. 
So just to throw a couple company names in, and these didn't jump out to me as much, but just so you know who did a lot of this, SFX Dream Quest Images did a lot of the special effects and mechanical SFX image engineering did like a lot of the mechanical stuff that you'll see. But we have Howard Berger from K&B doing Freddy's makeup because he worked for Yaker at the time and Steve Johnson doing most of the other makeup with Screaming Mad George doing effects and makeup. And we have John Carl Buechler doing special effects and makeup as well. So this is like a dream team of special effects in the 80s. I don't know if some of these people were as famous then as they, they ended up becoming, but just Berger, Buechler, and Steve Johnson and Scream Mad George, just them alone, they're in any major 80s horror movie and probably 90s as well until yeah. Horde temporarily died. But enough behind the scenes. Let's dive into the movie. So we start out with opening credits. Over some 80s synth and Tuesday night singing about nightmares, <laughs> which Josh did a awesome rendition of earlier. And on the screen, we have a Bible verse pop up and it says, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Job 4 verses 13 through 14. So it's neat that they found a uh, Bible verse that had nightmares and bones being disturbed. <laughs> To set this film up. Oh. But we see someone's hand drawing something on the sidewalk with chalk, and we can't quite make it out until we reach the end of the credits. When the camera pans up in the air to show that it's a girl in the white dress that we're so used to seeing in front of the Elm Street house. We're now introduced to the new Kristen as she approaches the little girl while also wearing a white dress. And the camera pans out, and we can see that they're actually in front of the Elm Street house. And Kristen asks the little girl if she lives there, and she says that no one lives there, and she sounds so innocent when she says it. And then she removes her hand from where she had it resting on the chalk house she was drawing, and we can see that Freddie's looking out of one of the windows in her chalk drawing. And Kristen decides to get more to the point and ask, where's Freddie? <laughs> He's not home. Which she sounds much less innocent right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It instantly turns to night and begins to rain. And the little girl is nowhere to be seen. And the chalk drawing seems to wash away. But it, to me, it looks like it's pulling into a pool of blood as yeah. the chalk rinses off the sidewalk, right? It was almost raining blood, but we're not quite to the Evil Dead remake yet, right? <laughs> so we then hear the door creak open and Kristen looks over and walks into it to get out of the rain. And we can see the kids out front singing the lullaby, playing jump rope, and and passing a ball back and forth. And the inside of this house is creepy. It's dark as fuck. There's kids playing. You can hear them all throughout the house and then randomly screaming. <laughs> There's tricycles rolling all over the house that are all fucked up from my old neighborhood. And there's <laughs> shit bouncing down the stairs. It's a little bonkers in this opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a fucked up fun house, right? <laughs> and she tries to run back out the door, but basically appears running back into the house with no way out behind her. I love that scene. Yeah. And she tries to go out a window, I think. And then the air, because you just hear this wind press really bad. The air blows in all the windows. And she slung back to the house and randomly lands in Freddy's boiler room. And we can hear the, the gloves scraping down the pipes, which we're all so familiar with at this point. And she screams for help and yells for Kincaid and Joey and sucks them into her dream along with Kincaid's dog, Jason. 
Such a clever name on the dog there, right? Yeah, not a nod at all. Kincaid is not amused with any of this. Oh shit, Kristen, not again. You're putting one serious dent in my beauty sleep. The boys are trying to convince Kristen that Freddy's gone and he's not coming back. He was buried and consecrated. And hell, Joey's even showing her that the boilers aren't on and that they're cold so that he can't be here. And I thought that was really cool how Joey so a matter of a fact does that. He's like, look, the boilers aren't on. There's no way he's here. And it was just kind of neat because it really pulled from old mythos without like specifically saying it, right? Yeah, totally. We then get a jump scare of Jason running and jumping out of the the boiler and biting Kristen on the arm. And then they all wake up. And it's neat because... Kincaid looks over and Jason has blood all over his fur and, and Kristen has the bite, right? Yeah. The next morning we see Kristen picking up some friends on the way to school and we meet Alice who seems to have an asshole for a dad and we meet her brother Rick as he flips out of the second story window down to the ground and we can see that he's like the clown of the movie, right? Like he's the guy cutting all the jokes and he's also Kristen's boyfriend. It's avoid all contact day. <laughs> when they arrive at school, we're introduced to Debbie who's like a punk chick that's also like a fitness workout nut. Fucking 80s, man, right? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> cocaine, nothing made any sense. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we find out that she's addicted to Dynasty and behind on her schoolwork and studying, which is fine because their final friend, Sheila, is a nerd. She's super smart. And she has that 80s horror movie version of asthma that I hate so much. <laughs> We see the school jock Dan that Alice has a crush on, and Debbie mocks Kristen by saying a line, and then we see Alice imagining talking to Dan in a daydream and saying Debbie's line with her attitude and mannerisms. And then we're snapped out of the dream to see that Debbie's definitely afraid of bucks, okay? <laughs> and there's a shit ton of foreshadowing in the scene. Yeah, there is. And at this point, we're introduced to all the lambs for the slaughter. Yeah. Kincaid and Joey stop Kristen in the hallway before class to once again let her know that they're displeased about being sucked into her dream. And yay, Joey has his voice back permanently, we can see. <laughs> and Rick breaks up the convo and tells them to lighten up because it's not like anyone died, right? More yeah. foreshadowing. <laughs> and then we see this cool glowing slash effect appear on the lockers for no reason. Other than it looked badass. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with anything that looks badass. After school, we can see Alice doing the dishes and Rick is practicing martial arts while rocking out to I'll Give You Anything by Dramarama, right? Yeah, the good uh, version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Buck Cherry version's not bad. It's almost the same. I know. It's really, I just don't like Buck Cherry because I don't like the lead singer, but you're right. It's, it's like a carbon copy cover. <laughs> it's a good cover. It's a good cover. Anyway, it's a good song. Their asshole dad shows up drunk and he's being a dick to Alice about dinner. And once again, we see her jump off into a daydream randomly and imagine going off on her father. Yeah. We cut to Kincaid who's freaked out in his room and freaked out by his dog who he thinks is Freddie in the hallway, I guess. <laughs> And then he randomly appears in the trunk of a car in the junkyard yeah, yeah. with Jason digging up Freddy's bones and he calls out for help to Kristen, but she doesn't come. And then Jason, the dog pisses fire on the ground, which cracks open a crevasse reviving Freddy. <laughs> yes. I just said all that. This is just like the ending of Poltergeist two. What the fuck did I just say? It really makes no sense. And explains nothing. And I saw in an interview somewhere that once they're at a party and James Cameron was there and they were talking about getting ready to make this movie. 
And he was like, how are you going to bring Freddy back this time? And Remy was like, uh, dog's going to piss fire and he's going to come back to life. And he just <laughs> fucking said it. And that's what happened. Oh, and it, you're right. You're so right about all that. But I'm still okay with it because a dog pissing fire just that's the kind of shit that happens in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I know. I know. <laughs> and really, with all that being said. The resurrection looks really fucking cool. Like when you see the skeleton pop back together and you see his body grow back over the skeleton and the clothes come in, it actually looks badass and was really well done. Yes, that melt and wax shit again. This shit still holds up. I know. According to Robert England, it was supposed to be like a hellhound just to show how evil Freddy was that hellhounds came to bring him back from the dead. Oh. I feel like. That's Robert's head cannon. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he is Freddy, though, so you can say what the fuck he wants about him. True. Kincaid knows that he's in trouble, and he tries to run through this junkyard maze from Freddy. You shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead. And then Kincaid ambushes Freddy while he's monologuing with his dream power <laughs> of super strength and knocks a bunch of cars over on him. And for some reason, he thinks he killed Freddy <laughs> by yeah. doing this. And so Freddy starts summoning all the cars in the junkyard onto Kincaid. And he yells for Kristen one last time. And he yells that Freddy's back. And then Freddy just appears in front of him and stabs him and kills him. One down, two to go. We cut to Kristen, who can't go to sleep. And I guess that's why Kincaid couldn't pull her in for help because she was still awake. And then we cut straight to Joey watching MTV and looking at his Playmate of the Month, July 1985, Hope Mary Carlton poster as he falls asleep. Wow, you went into a lot of detail there. Well, it's because you might recognize her as Janine from Slumber Party Massacre 3. <gasps> Holy shit. You go. <laughs> Which we specifically stated that she was Playmate of the Month, July 1985, in that movie. But Joey's waterbed starts to move in his dream, and he pulls the blankets back, and he finds her naked in the water, and she's missing from the poster. And he's okay with this for some reason, even with his past events considered. <laughs> she drifts down away from the, the top of the waterbed like she's going to, you know, dolphin charge up. <laughs> Only it's Freddy who bursts out, and he kills Joey as he calls for Kristen's help. How's this for a wet dream? <laughs> Honestly, though... As goofy as the scene is, it's really creepy when his mom comes in the room and finds him dead, drowned in the water under the mattress. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so fucked up disturbing. How would you explain that, though? That, that's what I'm wondering. It's like, okay, it's different when you're a parent, so I can't say if I was a parent and went in on this. But that's where my brain goes. I'm less concerned about my child being dead. I'm more concerned. How the fuck did he get in there? <laughs> I don't think this movie necessarily cared about those kind of things because one, they didn't have screenplay writers because of the strike. <laughs> and two, they took what was set up for them before, and this is full on MTV Freddy. Like nonstop one liners. Oh yeah. Cool kill scenes. Freddy rapping with the fat boys. I mean <laughs> Yeah, this, this this is when it all went down. This tra this movie is the train going around the corner too fast and leaning up off the rails about to go off. <laughs> Except for it doesn't, though, and it stays awesome through and through. <laughs> but at this point, we cut to Alice in her bedroom looking at her picture-covered mirror as Rick comes in and lets her know that her mirror being completely covered in, in photos defeats the purpose of a mirror because she can't see herself. And Rick can tell his sister's bummed out, and 
he decides to teach her some martial arts, which doesn't work out very well for her. And she like loses a shoe into a fish tank, which has a mini Freddy glove in there. If you pay attention. Say what? Yeah. I've never caught that. <laughs> and I'm not sure if he knew this or not, but they were supposed to be fraternal twins. Oh. So it's never stated. It was in the script initially. And if you look at all of her pictures, they're like the same age and babies at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And the pictures on the mirror. So they're twins. They're just not identical. Huh. The next morning at school, we can see uh, panicking Kristen asking Alice if she has seen Joey and Kincaid because she has a bad feeling about this. That's <laughs> still Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we find out that neither of them have been sleeping and that Alice knows some dream master lullaby to stop her from having nightmares, which is so shoehorned into this fucking movie. Lame. Yeah, I will give you a lame on that for this film. <laughs> in class, we can see that Joey and Kincaid are not there, and Kristen freaks the fuck out because she knows they have to be dead, and she's trying to get away from all the other students and her boyfriend, and she falls back and hits her head on the wall, knocking her out, and she wakes up in the uh, nurse's office to a school nurse played by Robert England, but he's a female nurse. <laughs> Who then shifts into Freddy, freaking her the fuck out. This I'm okay with. Freddy boobs, no. <laughs> Freddy and drag, or Robert England and drag, that's fine. Yep, yep. She then wakes up to the real nurse, and somehow she survived the dream. I guess she woke up before Freddy could get her. I guess really he didn't want to get her, if you think about it. We'll get to that, though. Yeah, yeah, not yet. After school, we can see that Alice works at a diner and that Dan's there looking for Rick, who we find out stayed after school with Kristen because she was, you know, at the nurse's office. And then Rick shows up and asks Alice if she'll come hang out with him and Kristen all night because she's real upset about Joey and Kincaid dying and she needs friends around. They grab Dan to head out with them because I guess him and Rick are good friends and they head to Freddie's house and Rick explains the entire backstory of Freddie to Dan and lets him know why Kristen's so worried, right? Somewhere in here, we hear the terrible dream master rhyme, which is basically the Freddie lullaby, <laughs> but it has a line in it about the dream master protecting people. I don't know where the fuck this came from. This is where you need a screenplay writer. Yeah, right. but, <laughs> to make this now I lay me down to sleep, the master of dreams, my soul I'll keep. It's God, it's so bad. <laughs> it's not good. And I think Lisa Wilcox is a pretty fucking good actress in these movies because you have to see her start off as like unsure of herself and it it's the she's all that kind of thing happening with her as she has powers, <laughs> right? And she progresses through the movie. And I think she's a good actress, but she could not deliver that line, and I don't think anybody could. No. Meryl Streep couldn't have said that shit. <laughs> but somewhere in here, Kristen's mom rolls up on the house and starts yelling at them to get away from the house and head home. On delay. <laughs> Keep in mind, though, that out of all these kids, Kristen is the only original Elm Street kid. Yeah. Right? Like, she would have had an older sibling that died to Freddie, and her mom was responsible for torching his ass, right? Yeah. The rest of them are from a different street, different neighborhood. Hell, I think Dan just moved to town because he makes a, a joke about that later. Back at Kristen's house, we see her sit down to eat dinner with her mom and find out that her mom drugged her with sleeping pills to make her get over her anxiety that she's having. And I really like Tuesday night in this part of the movie because she, she doesn't get a lot of chances to, to do acting before this scene. But I feel like she's great right here because she delivers this awesome fucking speech. In case you haven't been keeping score, it's his fucking banquet, and I'm the last course. You just murdered me. It's a very powerful scene. 
And Kristen staggers up the stairs to go die because she knows that there's no way out of this. And she calls to Alice as she passes out. And she tries to dream of some place fun as she goes under. I'm assuming this is from the original script because we saw in the previous movie she could pull people in the dreams. And in the original script, she was going to send Nancy to like a, a happy place, right? But the way she's saying this, it's like she can actually shape and sculpt dreams that was never addressed in the previous film. Yeah. And they kept it somehow. Or it was just bad writing because there was a writer strike going on. We're not jumping the shark yet. But we're about to see the fucking fin. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. The puns are strong with you today. But she wakes up on a beach and she sees a little girl named Alice. And then Jaws, I mean, Freddy using his glove as a fin, comes swimming through the ocean through the sand, burst into the sand castle that little Alice was wor- working on, and it explodes, and Freddy's standing there, and he puts on his fucking Ray-Bans, okay? <laughs> I love this shot. I really do. <laughs> Freddy and the son with the Ray-Bans on is awesome. Oh, Lord. And I'm assuming this shot is where the Freddy and Ray-Bans meme that you always see on the internet came from. Like, it was Has behind the be. scenes for shooting the scene. Had to have been. Or Robert England just liked to rock Ray-Bans, and when he was not filming, he put them on. Who knows? Don't know. Anyways, Kristen starts to, like, sink in the sand like it's quicksand, and he walks up to her, and he gives her the final push with his boot, and she falls through the sand into his house, into the boiler room, and Freddie lets her know that she's Elm Street's last brat, and it's all over now, and he wants her to call for help to summon a friend for him to kill just like the last one, right? Yep. She tries really hard to not call Alice into her dream, but by accident, she does it anyways. How sweet. Fresh meat. She tries to wake up Alice in the dream, but she can't. And then she decides, fuck it, I'm going to attack Freddy. And she dives on him to, to stall him. And he just picks her ass up and chunks her into the boiler room fire. <laughs> and we see her soul fly out of her body and into Freddy. And he starts to absorb it. And then part of it flies off as we hear her tell Alice to take her power and it flies into Alice, right? So I guess Freddie got the soul. She got the power. Yeah. That line's so bad though. You'll need my power. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I was saying. Like all of her lines are bad in this movie, except for when she's going off on her mom. <laughs> and I'm going to have to blame that on there not being a script and them telling her to wing it. I'm assuming <laughs> I'm going to blame it on there not being a Patricia Arquette. <laughs> Truth. But <laughs> We wouldn't have got that fucking theme song, God damn it! You're not wrong, man. I'll take the song. <laughs> Alice wakes up and takes down a picture of Kristen off of her mirror, revealing part of her face. And Rick runs in to see why she was screaming, and she says that they have to get to Kristen's as quick as they can. They rush to her house, and they find her room and her ablaze and dead in the room. And then we cut to a funeral to all three of their tombstones, that being Joey, Kincaid, and Kristen. And luckily... They're all buried together next to Nancy and her father. Okay, I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> it's a little too much wrapped uh, to the bow there. Yeah, it is. Where do we put those Kruger kids? Over there. <laughs> <laughs> After the funeral, we can see that Alice is taking a trip down memory lane, watching some like old VHS tapes, and she tells her brother that she saw Freddie kill Kristen and he lets her know that he's sick of all this Freddy shit, and he wants to know why she's acting so weird, and she lets her brother know that she doesn't feel like herself recently. The next morning, while hanging out with Sheila, we can see that Alice is saying things that we heard Kristen say earlier in the movie, and she's picked up her smoking habit. 
Yep. And Sheila shows Kristen that she had made a device that scares bugs away for Debbie. <laughs> and we find out that she's been up all night studying for the test they're having that day, right? She's got the bags under her eyes, and neither one of them has slept. So we see the kids taking a test in class, and Sheila and Alice doze off at the same time. And I'm assuming Alice pulled Sheila in, right? Because she has Kristen's power now. Yep. And Freddie fucks with the test and makes it say learning is fun with Freddie. <laughs> and then Sheila's that. fountain pen. Turn, yeah, it's great. And Sheila's fountain pen starts to drip blood. And this all looks really cool. And so you see like a 1960s robot arm come out of the desk for Sheila. <laughs> yeah, it's so dumb. I, I'm not a fan of the look of it. I like the idea of it, but it could have just been any other kind of arm. And Alice is locked into her desk and can't get up to, to help Sheila. And she has to watch all this. And Freddie appears in the front of the room as the teacher. And it's really neat looking scene because all the kids in the class are taking a test completely unaware of what's going on. And I like seeing that in these scenes. They do it a couple of times in this movie. Yeah, it's the only thing that builds tension in this movie. And Freddie goes to Sheila to lay one on her. And uh, I think he says something about it's time to suck face. Yeah. And he starts kissing her and he sucks all the air out of her body. And then we can see in real life in the classroom, she's dying of an asthma attack. And her soul shoots out of her body and goes into Alice's body, knocking her over. And Alice then collects the anti-bug device from the ground and runs off. And she starts to blame herself for bringing Sheila into her dream to Dan and Rick. And Dan tells Rick that he thinks Kristen's story's starting to get to her. Dan, I really don't know if it's a story. Look at us. We're dropping off like flies here. We can see Alice working at the diner and Dan shows up to visit her and we find out that she's been working nothing but double shifts so that she won't sleep and accidentally bring people into her dreams. And Alice explains to Dan that she thinks Freddie needs her to bring new kids in because he's killed all of the Elm Street kids. So it's like his power only worked on the, the Elm Street kids from the families that murdered him. So in order for him to stay alive and sustain himself on souls, he needs someone with this ability to bring kids to him. And I think that's a really cool idea that they created in the previous film and, and continued to use in here. It's like a neat hook that yeah. a lot of horror movies were not smart enough to come up with for their franchise. Yeah, there are other, other franchises are just like, this is what it is, deal with it. And this one's like, we're going to try. We're going to try to weave a string through here. The thinnest of strings, but at least they try. <laughs> I do want to bring up, this is the second time we've talked about the diner. What's the name of the diner? Oh, the Crave Inn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm sure it was in my notes somewhere in there, and I went on a roll and skipped it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that, that little tip of the hat there. But after the diner scene, we can see in the locker room at school that Dan and Rick are pretty good friends, and that Rick hasn't slept in a while now either. And it's because he's staying up all night with his sister every night. She's scared to sleep. And Dan heads to class, but Rick has to head to drop a deuce, right? <laughs> this, is a, this is a terrible toilet dream. <laughs> I know. We can see that Bob Shay's teaching a psychology class about dreams and a dream master that guards the gates into the dream room. And apparently I think that's a cooler backstory than Alice does because she dozes the fuck off in class. <laughs> The same time her brother dozed off on the shitter, right? So she's probably united them in a dream again. But we see that Rick gets surrounded by cheerleaders in the bathroom while he's dumping out. And this is a <laughs> weird fear, man. Like, <laughs> I, I get Debbie's bug fear and stuff, right? But anyways. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's scared of Blumpkins. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh. Especially from his ex, because he gets up and runs off because he sees a creepy burned up Kristen appear. <laughs> and 
he takes an elevator down into a dojo where when he gets out, he's now in a gi and he starts to fight Freddy, who's invisible, and he tells him a true ninja warrior needs no eyes. <laughs> and he beats Rick up for a bit, and then Rick gets up and kicks his ass, including removing his glove from his hand, and he thinks he has the upper hand now that he's disarmed Freddy and he gets too cocky. Side. How are you gonna fight me without your weapon, Freddy? And we see that Freddy can independently control his glove from his body, and he makes it fly across the room and impale Rick, killing him. And we can see Alice inherit his power in class. Now, apparently I missed it, but somewhere in the movie they showed that he had a fear of elevators. I'm not really sure where that was at, but I saw it referenced twice in behind-the-scenes footage because they were supposed to be foreshadowing fears throughout this movie. The, The bug fear, the asthma fear, the elevator fear. But originally, Rick died in the elevator. The elevator was supposed to keep falling, and it was supposed to fall into hell, and that's how he died. But they had a lack of money to do the scene, and they had a lack of money to build a dojo, so they just hung cloths around the room. And he practiced a martial arts sequence for two and a half weeks for this (laughs) fight. And... He was like all prepared to be in there kicking and doing flip kicks and all that. And then when he gets their room, he's like, I just want you to throw wide punches. <laughs> so it's like the Showstrom doll, right? Like, like he made <laughs> he made a badass fight scene and then he didn't get to do it. He had to just fucking sit there and swing like a boxer. Dude, that's fucked up. But my biggest beef with this scene is he's badass enough to attack and land hits on Invisible Freddy, but he can't dodge the glove that flies from all the way across the other side of the room. <laughs> I know. A lot of this had to do the writer's strike because the next scene we cut to Rick's funeral and all his friends are there, right? And they actually were going to change how Rick died. And I don't remember how they're going to do it or they weren't going to kill him. Rick was going to live, but they had already shot the funeral scene Uh. and they didn't have a lot of money. And they're in the middle of a writer's strike and on a tight schedule. So they had to kill him anyways. And that's why they just hastily threw that whole fight scene dojo thing together. Okay. But at the funeral, Alice daydreams that, like, Rick sets up out of his coffin, and he gets out and has a chat with her, and he's cutting jokes and stuff, and it's very in-character form. And after the discussion, Alice finally has Debbie and Dan believing her about Freddy because so many friends are dying at this point, right? And they're all supposed to meet up at Debbie's that night when Alice gets off work, and Debbie leaves Alice her spike bracelet and says it'll be a good luck charm because she can, like, wrap it around her fist and punch perverts in the face or something. I don't remember what she says exactly. (laughs) As Alice leaves, she says, this is mind over matter. And we can see that Debbie realizes that she's now talking like Sheila. And Dan realizes that she's different after each one of their friend's deaths. Like she acts completely different, right? She starts doing new things in bed. No, wait, that's the next movie. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) we then see Alice in her room as she takes yet another picture off of her mirror, which if I forgot to mention this earlier, She's like showing more of her face, like her brother made fun of her, like she's finding herself. And I made a she's all that joke earlier, but if you look, she starts to look different throughout the the movie. She's like more sure of herself. She starts doing her hair. She starts wearing makeup. She stops dressing like a little schoolgirl. And that was intentional to show that like as she's gaining power, she's not an unsecured little girl anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, she even goes so far as literally her hair is cut differently. Not, not, not just styled differently, but all of a sudden <laughs> cut differently. It's so fucked up. I'm glad he brought up the hair because it's about to be real different in a second. Oh, because she takes that that picture of her brother off and she picks up her brother's headband and then she picks up his nunchucks and she starts to 
go to town on him while rocking out to the I'll give you anything song, right? And she starts to realize herself that she's changing and the camera cuts behind her while she's doing the nunchucks. And obviously it's a stunt double slinging them around, right? Because they're fucking going ham with them. But they didn't even put a red wig on the chick. You can tell it's not real hair. It's a brown wig. Like (laughs) they put a brown wig on the stunt double to play a redheaded character. (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck? You weren't kidding about them running out of time and money. (laughs) (laughs) but somewhere in here alice tries to leave for work and her dad won't let her leave the house because he just lost his son he doesn't want to lose his daughter who's acting crazy too right no and we can see dan waiting outside of the diner for alice and we find out that he's not thrilled about moving to springwood all the towns in america and i gotta move to the bermuda triangle (laughs) that's great but since her dad won't let her leave for work, she has to sneak out the window of her room. And I'm not sure if she does a Rick flip, but if she didn't, she should have right here. Yeah. And she heads to the diner and she sees that Dan's not there anymore. And there's a movie theater across the street. So she randomly goes across the street to watch an old movie. Cause this makes sense. Right. And she's obviously dreaming at this point. I don't know why she doesn't figure it out since she's the fucking dream master after all. Yeah. And she goes in and starts watching this old black and white flick until she gets sucked into the screen. And as she flies into the screen, she goes black and white herself. And the audience stands up and gives a, like a standing ovation to her in the movie. And if you pay attention, it's all of her friends that have died in the movie. Yeah. That whole sequence of her getting sucked in is, is fucking fun. I'm okay with that. Yeah, they did it really cool as well. The room could actually tilt and it would go sideways. So like the people were strapped in the chairs and she's like actually fucking hanging. Oh, okay. That's how they made the sodas and the popcorn fly because it would just lean and it looked cool and it looked really cool when they transitioned her into black and white. Yes. And on the documentary, the director says he doesn't think that had been done before that. And I'm not sure that he's wrong. I can't think of anywhere else. Gremlins? No. <laughs> <laughs> they did something like that in Last Action Hero, but that was way after this, right? Yeah. But anyways, we can see that Alice is in a dilapidated version of the Crave Inn, right, where she works. And she's talking with an old version of herself that works there. And Freddie pops up to talk shit to her and let her know that he needs her to bring him some more kids. And he's also eating a pizza with the kid's souls in it as meatballs. And he lets her know that he loves soul food. And he pops up a meatball with his claw and eats it. And it's fucking crazy. And I think Buechler made that, if I remember correctly, made the pizza and had the kid's faces in it and shit. Oh, it's It's pretty fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, it's good, but fucked up. But somewhere in here, Freddie shows Debbie getting ready to work out and Alice gets worried about her and accidentally sucks her into the dream, which this one doesn't make any sense to me because she was working out. So I don't know how the fuck she fell asleep. But Alice then gets up and runs to Dan to get in his truck to race to Debbie's to save her because she knows what's about to happen. But they get stuck in a time loop. And I love this scene. Yeah. She runs out of the diner, gets in the truck. They race to Debbie's. They get out of the car, run to the door come running out of the diner and get back in the truck and they do the loop three or four times before they figure it out. I'm driving. That's <laughs> <laughs> a really cool use of a dream power. And Robert England says this is his favorite scene out of every dream sequence out of the entire franchise. Oh, Cause it feels like something out of a real dream. <laughs> I know. I know. And I got a question for you. Okay. How the hell are they driving the car? If they're both asleep, The only thing that makes the Debbie scene and this scene make sense to me is if the Kristen power now inherited by Alice can actually make people go to sleep to suck them into the dream. 
I think that's exactly what's happening because what it's never flat out said here, but what I've, especially with what happens in the next movie and uh, the dad, I'm getting to a point, I promise the dad (laughs) keeps, Oh yeah. You're the little daydreamer that like, we're supposed to believe that her daydreams are so intense that Freddie's using the daydreams to actually come in and punch the hole and then use the power to actually take someone who's awake and pull them into a dream through the daydream power. And if we had Kane and all that, it makes everything make sense. So we're just going to have to stick with that. <laughs> but while all this is going on, Freddie's fucking with Debbie while she's working out. And he makes her arms bend back and break. And then she grows roach arms out of the wounds. Yeah. And she starts to become a bug, which is the thing she fears the most. And she tries to get away from him while running down a hallway, which ends up being a roach motel that she falls into, gets stuck in the glue. And rips her skin away, revealing that she has a bug body in face now. Until Freddy squeezes the roach motel, killing her. And we see like all this like guts and goop fly out the side. You can check in, but you can't check out. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. That whole scene is grotesque in the best kind of way. <laughs> and if I remember right, they just gave that to Screaming Mad George. And he, he took the lead on that whole sequence. I've also read and saw in interviews on many occasions. That is one of the highest ranked horror movie deaths in like history of time. Oh, there's other ones in the franchise I'd put ahead of that. Yeah, but I saw a really original one and a really well done one special effects wise. So I could see people feeling that way. I wonder if this is the movie. No, I was going to say, I wonder if this is the movie that made me scared of roaches. But I remember the house I lived in that made me scared of roaches. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking creep show. Oh, no. The nest. The nest is the movie that (laughs) fucked me up with roaches. (laughs) I saw Creepshow really young, so that's why I didn't like roaches because of that. <laughs> Anyways, that's for another time. If you're not used to it by now, we see Alice get Debbie's soul power or whatever you call it. And Alice realizes that we're now down to just her and Dan, right? And Freddie randomly appears in front of the truck that they're still driving. And she tries to ram him and basically wrecks the truck. And Dan's dying because he got fucked up and she didn't. I guess she had her seatbelt on. And he's being rushed to the ER. And Alice has to stop the paramedics from giving Dan a sedative to knock him out. She says he's allergic to it, right? Yep. And in the ER, Alice finds out that Dan has to have surgery and he has to go under for the surgery. And they're prepping and surgery will begin in 15 minutes, right? So... That's her timer. That's how long she has to stop Freddie. So somehow in this time, this small time window, <laughs> she steals her dad's car keys, races to her house, and preps for battle. And at this point, we're we're diving into the third act. Okay? There we go. So she gets home and she, you know, she gets fucking decked out in her her battle outfit, which is very unlike the way she dressed the rest of the movie, right? Yeah. Like she's got you know her acid wash jeans on and her boots and like her fucking jacket and stuff. And then she wraps Debbie spikes around one fist and her brother's headband around the other. And then she takes Sheila's anti-bug device, straps on her belt, and removes all the pictures from her mirror and finally gets a good full look of herself in the mirror. Fucking A. And this is the point where, like, she has a different haircut. Her hair's done. She has full makeup yeah. on. Like, she's the hero now, right? I'm not saying you need makeup to be dressed up, but that's how they portrayed it, right? Like, like you could see her change throughout the movie. And her acting becomes more confident. And I'm assuming that was all intentional, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> While all this is going down, Dan's put under, and he sees that the surgeon in his dreams turns into Freddy. Hey, Dr. Seuss. Oh, back to that train going around that corner. <laughs> I like it. We'll get all that here in a minute, though. I'm almost done. Oh. 
He calls out for Alice to help him, and she dives into his dream, like literally, oh, she gymnast flips into the mirror, doesn't she? So that's part of Kristen's power, right? She does the Liu Kang fucking Mortal Kombat flying kick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's very similar to what Patricia Arquette did to dive in the mirror in the previous film, I think. So I'm assuming we're supposed to see Kristen's power there, like we're not getting enough of it with the yanking people in the dreams, but... (laughs) <laughs> she dives into the operating room and gets them up and they run and dive to another mirror or window or something. And they appear in a church and Dan starts to bleed out in the dream. And we can see that he's hemorrhaging in real life and he starts to fade out back to the future style. Right. <laughs> and I think it's a really well done scene. And we can see that the docs save his life. And w- that's what woke him up. Right. Like they, they stitched him up. He's not hemorrhaging and they woke him up. Right. Yep. So he's safe now. Freddy can't get him. But Alice has to prep for her one-on-one battle with the dream demon. And she does this to the soundtrack of the kids singing his lullaby, right? And Freddy shows up and welcomes her to Wonderland, which is like the, I didn't point it out. That's like the third or fourth Alice in Wonderland reference in this movie. Yeah. And she uses her martial arts skills that she got from her brother to fight Freddy. And he lets her know that she has the powers, but he has their souls. And he also lets him know that he's been guarding his gate for a long fucking time and she doesn't have what it takes to take him out, right? <laughs> Which I didn't get this until my second or third watching for the podcast. So he's implying that she's a dream master that guards a gate. And he's a dream master that guards a gate. Yeah. That's really cool. They don't really dive into that further. But if you think about it from like the backstory you heard earlier, they're both dream masters. Their yeah. powers just work differently, right? It's kind of neat. Like they, they went kind of deep on this one without having writers. <laughs> <laughs> but they face off again and they go into like a quick draw like stance from a Western, which I don't really know how this was supposed to go down. But <laughs> she pulls out the device that Sheila made and turns it on and it becomes what I can best describe as a fucking laser gun, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it blows a hole straight through Freddy and he instantly heals his wound up and he lets her know that he's eternal, <laughs> which is pretty strong words. And the little girls start to recite the dream master rhyme. And you basically see like a holy beacon of light come down. And this is playing off the Christianity thing, right? It's supposed yeah. to be like their little angels, right? And she's getting the holy power. And she realizes that if evil sees itself, it shall die. And she shows him his own reflection and the souls start to break out of his body as a series of arms rip out and hold him up against a wall. And then they just fucking rip him apart until he falls over dead and he releases all the kids souls out of his body. And this looks really fucking badass. Yeah. And they did this with like a 20 foot tall rig. Okay. And they had real actors in the body moving around and you see like a girl's breast rubbing up against it. That's actually Linnea Quigley. I know. I saw her name in the <laughs> credits and I was like, Linnea Quigley wasn't in this fucking movie and I had to Google it. <laughs> like, oh, breast girl in Freddy's torso. <laughs> it's an 80s horror movie, man. They put her breast in it. That was pretty common back then. But it, it's pretty fucking cool looking. And, and that's how they achieve that. And they would cut in between like you know, a rigged body with puppet arms and heads coming out, which looked really cool. And and that body, but when they were filming the scene, the rig actually fell over and there was like a little Asian woman in the rafters holding it up. It went down with all the actors in the body, yanked her down and slammed her in the floor. They (laughs) almost had to shut that whole like fucking shit down because it it failed, but they got it to work. OSHA's here. (laughs) I know. I know. Right. But I got to ask, 
Why didn't the mirrors fuck him up in the last movie? It's a, it's a, it's a two part, um, writer strike. Well, no, no, no. It's a, it's, 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 it's a two part mix. Like a, like a, like elephant toothpaste or something. So you have to have the rhyme and then the reflection. It's like the setup and the takedown. We'll just go with the holy beam of light from the angels. We're just going to use that. The power of Christ compelled them. We'll go at this point. Nobody cared. And <laughs> more of which we'll talk about in the next movie. <laughs> but that's it. That's how they take out Freddy. If you ignore the mechanics, how we got there, special effects look great. Yeah. And it's really cool that it's the kid's souls that he's been eating. That's what defeated him in the end. Right. So I do like that. But. From there, we cut to see that Alice and Dan have a happy ending scene together. They're both still alive. They're together. They're sleeping a lot more. And they're making a wish at a wishing well where Alice thinks she sees Freddy's reflection in the water. But she shakes it off. And her and Dan walk off. Credits. That's it. And by credits, I think this is the Fat Boys rap, right? <laughs> Was Robert England rapping with them? Yeah, yeah. Like, le- legitimately him. Not just Freddy in the video. It's really Robert England. And... It's a little shaky at times, but I think this is a really good movie in general and definitely really good for the franchise. It had badass special effects. It built a lot off of the mythos and lore and added to it. And this is the movie that really made Freddy Krueger the one-liner king. Yeah. Right? Like, you had Welcome to Primetime, bitch. They fucking just let it roll in this one. (laughs) And it did really well. I didn't look to see what it made globally, but it made $50 million domestically only, making it the highest grossing independent film of all time at its release, which is really fucking impressive. Like, this put New Line Cinema on the map, and it's even more impressive considering this happened during a writer's strike without proper writers with a director that barely spoke English at the time <laughs> that had only made one movie prior to this. And I mean, hell, he, he said he was surprised with, with the notoriety that he got after this film to the point that he was still staying in like a motel six or something when the movie came out and he got a phone call at his hotel. They're like, uh, Steven Spielberg's on the phone to talk to you. Right. Because he was so impressed with them. And like we said, he went on to make a bunch of big fucking action movies and some horror movies that we even like. The Covenant's what I'm going to cover when we get to horror movies or witch movies. You know what I mean? (laughs) I wish I felt as strongly about the next film that Josh is going to cover, which was 1989's A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child, which this is basically a trilogy. It directly flows from this film and has some of the same actors and actresses but i just don't feel like it was pulled off as well as this movie (laughs) no one thinks it was pulled off as well as the previous movie so this one was written by leslie boehm who uh did the amazing dante's peak and uh (laughs) john skip and craig specter but according to them their original screenplay was so torn apart that the only thing left in the movie was the line it's a boy (laughs) <laughs> oh shit you talk about new directors going on to do action shit fucking Stephen Hopkins which I'm gonna have a real hard time not doing saying Stephen Hawkins so if I do during this I'm <laughs> sorry um, but he went right after this to direct Predator 2 and then went on to do um, I forget the, the the actress's name but The Reaping have you seen that horror flick that's a newer horror flick by newer I mean I don't like think in the last so. decade who's the horse face chick that was in Million Dollar Baby Hillary Swank? The new karate kid? 
Oh God, I, I've so blocked that out of my mind. But yeah, Hil- Hillary Swank is in that movie and uh, went on to do a lot of TV. And I do not have a lot of behind the scenes stuff, so we'll just go through the cast real quick here. Um, in this one, we've got uh, Robert England, of course, is back. Lisa Wilcox is back. Danny Hassel is back as Dan. Um, <laughs> we get a few new people, that being Eric Anderson as Greta. She was in a little bit of Twin Peaks, and that's about it. We've got Joe Seeley as Mark, who he really wasn't in much, and I didn't, I liked him. Teenage Josh would have loved to have seen him in other stuff. Uh, Kelly Jo Minter as Yvonne. She's in The People Under the Stairs, Popcorn, yep. and was completely edited out of The Lost Boys. <laughs> and she was in Summer School, which randomly gets referenced on this podcast all the time. <laughs> I always remember her running out covered in blood. She's like, it's a massacre in there. You know, when they're doing the chainsaw scene. And we're introduced to, at least in the series. Well, fuck it. He doesn't come back. It's not like we're introduced. Anyways, we also got Whit Hertford as Jacob, who's done a buttload of voiceover work. A lot of TV. Of course, I brought him up before. He's one of Kane's little kid followers in Poltergeist 2. And he's the... uh, Raptor attack story kid in Jurassic Park. Yes. And I hate saying this because it sounds mean and like a bullying, but he's a creepy looking fucking kid. He is. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll do a role reversal of me talking about the nun lady. He has a unique facial structure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And bug eyes. He does like a fucking alien. <laughs> we do have a carryover of some great uh, makeup effects because we still have K and B and we have the return of David Miller, which this is actually K and B. It was just burger, right? Like in the other ones working for Showstrom, but this is actually K and B on this one. Yeah. We finally, well, the only one missing was Nick Taro, and this is the one where we finally get Nick Taro in there. If I remember correctly. Okay. But, uh, let's go through the bad and then we'll get into the movie. Oh wait, that's going to be redundant. So this one was rushed <laughs> As fast, if not faster, than Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Definitely faster, because they came out less than a year apart, right? Yeah, less than a year on this one. And they didn't have a full script, so they just made shit up as they went. And it shows. It worked the last time. Why not try it again? God, and that's the other problem with this. Like, I will refer to this as Nightmare on Elm Street 4.5 many times, because this all feels like it's part of the same movie that, the whole baby angle was just not a good direction. There's great ideas in there, but uh, let's go ahead and get into it because this is this is uh, where the train goes off those rails and our run up for that shark to jump. So we have uh, opening credits over some sexy time. Yeah, we do. Between uh, Dan and Alice, but it's actually Mike Smith who played Super Freddy and one of Alice's body doubles because she doesn't do nudity. And you don't see any nudity, but it's it's mostly super Freddy (laughs) in the opening credits. And um, we see Alice and Dan wake up and Alice goes to take a shower. And uh, here's another body double. And uh, (laughs) she's in the shower and uh, the poo water starts coming up out the drain. And uh, I've, I've lived multiple places with septic tanks and this happens and it happens in neighborhoods and stuff too, but it's just, this is nasty. And I get out when that happens, but not Alice. She's a fucking dream master. She, <laughs> she starts reaching into the poo water trying to figure out what the problem is. But uh, we quickly see it's a fucking crazy ass nightmare and she can't turn the water off and it's a stand up shower and it starts filling up and she's going to drown in the water. But she pounds on the door until it flies open and she's flung out. So we're definitely in the dream world. 
And she finds herself quickly naked at first, but dressed as a nun walking down the hallways of the closed wing of Weston Hills. And she real quick goes to, she looks, actually, actually she looks down just in case there's any questions. She has a name tag on her nun outfit that says Amanda Kruger or just Amanda. And we realize she's surrounded by a hundred maniacs and she's downstairs with them as two guys upstairs are counting. And the one guy's like, fuck it. It's a hundred. Let's go home. (laughs) (laughs) It's Christmas, man. Let's go. Yeah. And they shut the door and she's immediately pounced on by all the maniacs, namely Robert England, because he gets the most screen time. And uh, so it's just a real quick thing going on there. But she wakes up. I saw a behind the scenes thing on that. They're saying that it was a bunch of just random stage actor extras. Yeah. And they were just told to act crazy. And when they called action, they just fucking went ham. And it was like a madhouse in there. And Robert Englund was worried about it and, and worried about Lisa there at the room. Cause <laughs> he's like, stage actors don't know when to stop like a film actor. Does. <laughs> but yeah, apparently it was a fucking hundred, you know, random extras going crazy. In there. Yeah. But, uh, but Dan wakes her up luckily and she's out of the dream. But then Dan leans back and Robert England pops back up and pounces on her. So it's a dream within the dream, but then she actually wakes up and looks out the window and that roughness right there is going to follow us through a lot of this in this movie. There's a lot of good in here and I will talk about it when we get to it, but overall it's not a fun ride. So we cut to the graduation where the high school graduation of everybody, where we meet Mark, Yvonne and Greta. We find out that Dan and Lisa plan to go to Paris for the summer and Alice tells Dan that she had a bad dream last night and it was like she couldn't control it. And uh, so that's kind of the whole thing where it's like we're supposed to understand she's the dream master now. She can control it. Why did this happen? And uh, we then see that Pops has quit drinking and he's trying to be a better dad because she's like talking to herself like, I'm proud of you. You look beautiful up there. And he pops out from behind the tree and he's like, I watched from back here. I didn't want to embarrass you, which I love the whole arc of dad for being the asshole to getting to see him redeem himself. That's you don't get a lot of that in franchises. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, it's just, it's some, some depth and some levity that I think is kind of nice. Do you think it's odd that she has a whole new group of friends, even though it's apparently only been like a few months to a school year since the previous massacre and none of the new friends seem to know that her old group of friends fucking died. It's very much weird, and Dan being there makes it even weirder because it's not like he doesn't know what went down. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> so after the graduation, Alice is talking about how she has to go to work, and she's just going to cut through the park to get there. And on her way through the park, she sees the girls jumping rope in white, and one of them starts singing the fucking rhyme. Which is kind of cheesy, but this is where we're going. <laughs> So now that it's gotten all dark and dreamy and shit, she sees Amanda and she follows her up into the tower at the asylum just in time to witness the birth of Freddy, who is born deformed as fuck and already looks like (laughs) burned Freddy. And it's dumb, but it looks so cool. I give it a pass. (laughs) Yeah, it's very aliens like, right? Yeah, it's the embodiment of his evil, which I'm in a baby form and I'm okay with that. Well, it's the dream version of it happening, right? Like not the actual event. So it makes sense. True. So baby Freddy scampers off into the chapel that we saw at the end of four and he, he scurries up into his clothes and he grows and like, as he's growing, like windows are blowing out and the, the whole chapel's fucking falling apart and shit. And the, the pulpit or whatever is rising up with him on it and all that. It's dope. 
<laughs> now he's back as Gimpy, full-grown Freddy. It's a boy! So they actually used a little person, so they didn't have to make the sets as big right there? Yeah. Oh, and that's another, that's a thing. The effects in this one, and we'll get into more stuff later, they still, they kept all that on the rails great um, in this one. But Freddy grabs Alice's belly, and uh, he says he's found the key. And then Amanda comes in and says she's not going to let it happen again. And Freddy fades into the fog. We'll see, bitch. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) The way he looks terrified of his mother, the way he cowers away from her and then just like spits that off as he's running off is fantastic. And he does that a couple times in the movie. Yes. like He's afraid of his mama. Yes, he got some mama issues. But Amanda tells Alice that she must be released from her earthly prison in the tower. So we're really quickly, everything's set right then. This is the mission. This is Freddy's weakness. Why is Freddy back? Well, we had the whole baby thing, and we had people fucking in the opening credits. So kind of like the whole reveal with Amanda Kruger in the part three. If you don't know the whole, and the name of the movie is the fucking dream child. If you don't know (laughs) what's going on at this point, I'm sorry. (laughs) So Alice then wakes up realizing she's standing at work at the Crave Inn and this other chick's there. She's like, you're fucking four hours late. I thought you were dead. So this goes back to the whole, the daydreaming thing, but this is like way more than that. Cause her little daydreams were like brief little things. Like this is like alien abduction. Where the fuck did the four <laughs> hours go? Meanwhile, all the other kids are at the after graduation pool party. And we find out that Mark, who is really into bloody comics that he reads and writes, can't stand blood in real life because somebody cuts their hand on a bottle and he like almost faints and shit. And Alice calls and gets Dan on the phone and tells him what just happened. And he's like, man, I got to go check on my chick. And he grabs a bottle of champagne that he's got for her and hops in his truck to go take off and see what's going on. And this is a really awesome scene. I love I'm going to just say it here. Except for one dream sequence, I fucking love the dream sequences in this movie. And the kills in this movie, (laughs) some of them are the most unique in the whole series. And so he's driving and like the radio starts chattering and uh, it's it's a woman calling into a show and it's like, well, what do you want to talk about? It's like, I want to talk about my son, Dan. He used to be a good boy until he started dating that bitch slut whore Alice. And uh, <laughs> and like Freddie starts becoming part of the fucking radio. And then all of a sudden, Freddie's sitting in the seat next to him and he's chugging the, fu- the champagne and he spits it out on the dash and it's like acid melting the dash. He's like, bad year, Dan. <laughs> and he pours it on his arm and the acid from the champagne melts his arm off and then he uses his arm as a seatbelt, like sticks it into the truck and he's like better buckle up and uh there's shots back and forth where freddy's got his own wheel and his shifter and shit and it's awesome and yeah the truck crashes and Dan flies out the windshield and he's back at the pool, but he's the only one there and he runs outside to the truck and he's going to get in and he's like dream loop he doesn't say this, but you know that's where his brain's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he turns around and steals a motorcycle instead. And as soon as he's on the motorcycle, fucking Freddy morphs into the motorcycle, basically. And like the brake lines of the motorcycle start going in under his skin. Freddy's face pops up in the, the gas tank made out of wires and shit. And there's a very long, awesome version of this that all the cool shit was cut out of to get an R.A. Yes. But. It's still badass even in the cut shit. It's just everywhere you want it to go in the cut version, it really goes in the uncut version. It just stops like right before anything 
gruesome or bad happens. It's not, it's a lot of reverse shots that look badass. Yeah. And uh, they should just went the Sam Raimi route and just fucking stamped a rated R on it anyways and pushed yeah. it through. And uh, I like how they refer to it as the the HR Geiger bike is like that was the inspiration for it, according to the director. Oh, hell yeah. I definitely <laughs> see that. And eventually, Freddie, of course, steers the bike that now Dan is completely wired into and can't move into oncoming traffic. And it's a real loud scene with the motor running and a lot of loud music, and everything. All of a sudden, we cut to Alice in the nearly silent diner. And this looks so good because... It's a composite shot, but like the screen tears open behind her and we see one of the Freddy soul tubes and we see uh, Dan just flying down at screaming and Alice is like, holy shit. Yeah. And then we cut right back to Dan waking up back in his truck. Hey, Dan, better not dream and drive. And he fucking wrecks into oncoming traffic just outside the diner. And Alice runs out and she gets a quick scare from the truck driver jumping out in a red sweater and a hat and blah. it does not give the Freddy scare. It's not the where your where's your past chick or anything like that. It's I don't like it. I do like that the wreck happened right outside the diner though, and she was able to run out to it. Yes, that was a nice touch. But she she sees bloodied up Dan in uh in the truck, and uh, Freddy Dan has a message for. Her. Hi, us. Want to make babies? Yeah, it's fucked up. He's really not in this movie long, and I meant to say that in the last film, Joey and Kincaid, man, just in and out real quick. <laughs> So uh, Alice faints and uh, she wakes up at the hospital and Yvonne tells her because Yvonne's a candy striper and uh, she tells her that Dan's dead and Alice is already yelling that it was Freddie and they're like, well, we found the bottle of champagne and she's like, Dan didn't even drink. That was probably for me. And uh, yeah. you, hear, you hear the doctor saying, well, she, she's just a little hysterical due to her condition because she finds out she's a little bit pregnant and they want to keep her there overnight for observations. So she wakes up later in the hospital and she's visited by this creepy looking boy when we find out his name's Jacob. And like, that's the whole point of the scene. Cause then we cut to Greta, <laughs> man. He could really be a children from the corn. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. 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 E- even like to this day, he's, <laughs> he's an interesting looking He looks dude. exactly the same, but 40. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'll be honest. I'm going to have my mind blown when we watch Wes Craven's new nightmare, because I thought he was the kid. I thought he was Heather's kid in that. No, no, no. See, Jacob's the kid that can act. The kid in uh, New Nightmare is the kid that can't act. It's just really weird. I mix that up, and I always think that the bike death scene is in New Nightmare, and it's Heather's husband that's the SFX guy, like, dying to his own special effects. Like, I mix the two together a lot. That one I can definitely understand because they revisit the whole truck thing. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but over at Greta's, Greta's being told to go to bed. And Greta's mom is like posh, proper, plastic, bitchy. Like when they're taking pictures at the graduation, uh, Greta's like, oh, let me go gnash my teeth for the paparazzi. Like that's that's the yeah. household she's being raised in. And you saw earlier, mom's basically like trying to raise her to be a supermodel, right? Yeah. And uh, I left out something that's so funny when uh, back go, going back to the graduation, like the college scouts show up to to meet with Dan and his dad because Dan's a football player and shit. And then, uh, it's like, you know what they say about him? This boy feels the need for speed. And when Freddie's talking to him <laughs> on the motorcycle, he's like, this boy feels the need for speed fuel injection. <laughs> like it's, it's so good. It's <laughs> so, so zany, but it's still good. But what we see over at Greta's house when she's being told to go to bed is that one or she's got all these fucking dolls like porcelain face dolls. It's so creepy. <laughs> One of them falls off the shelf and it shatters when it hits the ground. That's supposed to be foreshadowing, but it's literally like an eight second scene. And we move on to Alice the next day. 
and uh, she's telling Yvonne about Jacob. And she's like, yeah, he's this boy. He's about this old. He must have wandered in from the children's ward. And Yvonne's like, we don't even have a children's ward. <laughs> Where is this kid coming from? We don't let kids in this motherfucker. We had a hundred crazy guys rape a nun one time. <laughs> <laughs> so Alice kind of gets the group together and she's trying to tell him, like, it has to be Freddy. This is what happened. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, they're like, you're crazy. You weren't even asleep. Like, even if this shit was real, the rules you're imparting on it aren't even in play. And uh, she's like, well, he must have found another way. Gee, I wonder how. Anyways, <laughs> that night, <laughs> um, Alice is uh, going to help dad put up some groceries. Could you imagine how fucked you would be if you had narcolepsy in one of these movies? Oh, that, uh-uh. No, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Uppercase. That's my nightmare and a nightmare on Elm Street, Phil. <laughs> that or being in a coma. Oh, I think it just use you as a fuck toy then. <laughs> but so Alice is helping dad put up groceries and back with Greta. Uh, she's at mommy dearest fucking dinner party. And uh, it's already surreal enough to begin with when you see the shots here. And she's like, why aren't you eating? She's like, I'm not really hungry. My fucking friend just died. And she's like, well, that's rude. This is why we diet <laughs> and, and all this shit. And, and uh, Greta's all like, you know what? How about I just eat the whole thing, go in the bathroom and barf and then come back for seconds. <laughs> and it's really good because it's it it's touching on subject matter that people end up saying were was too heavy for kids. And that's why this movie didn't do good. But I don't think think so i think we're just setting up dynamics and seeing how those are used against the kids because that's what it should be it should be freddie finding out your fears and using it against you which they really started doing very well in the previous film you didn't get a whole lot of this is the kid's fear and this is how i'm going to use it until until the last film and yes. they, they at least brought that into this one at the dinner table scene though do you sometimes like half expect the dinner guests to start you know breaking into jumping in the line i believe you no, my brain actually goes to Bill and Ted 2 when uh, the give your give your grandmother a kiss scene with, yeah. with the camera flying down the table in all seriousness. I go more Beetlejuice, though, every fucking time because it's just so like the colors and everything are just so surreal that it's like off putting yeah. just like the Beetlejuice house. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, too. I haven't. I need to watch Beetlejuice. I haven't actually just sat and watched Beetlejuice in a while. I watched it like two or three times before your wedding just to make sure I had enough Beetlejuice one-liners to use <laughs> since I was a groomsman dressed as, as Beetlejuice and everybody just kept saying my name three times instead. <laughs> I just had to prep for that. That's all I had to do. But uh, the waiter is like, hey, I got a dish for And then Freddie proceeds to force feed her the doll guts and her own guts until she chokes and drops dead at the dinner table. Now, I know him feeding her to herself is cut in the regular cut yeah. of the movie, but I always remember that from a, being a kid. So I don't know what version of this movie I saw when I was younger because I always remembered because he's got the fucking spoon thing made into the knives on his glove. And I sh distinctly remember the guts of him stabbing and then putting it in her mouth. Well, in the theatrical cut, he like force feeds her like a bunch of shit from the table. He's just cramming food in there. Yeah. Plus, plus the doll. So I don't know. Maybe like you saw that cut once and they just kind of like intertwined in your memories. Maybe. But uh, so Greta's gone. So kids are dying fast once again. <laughs> now, what's dope is we get another shot of Alice seeing somebody being taken because all the food in the refrigerator when she's putting shit up just fucking it's stop motion animation and it rots and it looks 
Well, it looks like stop motion animation, <laughs> but at least it wasn't. <laughs> looks CGI. like poltergeist. What it looks like. <laughs> but uh, Greta comes popping up out of the door of the refrigerator, all fucking big mouthed and everything, or big cheeked, I guess. And Alice grabs her, trying to get her. And Freddie pops up from the back of the refrigerator, still in the waiter's uniform, <laughs> and grabs Greta <laughs> and slams the door shut. And he's even left a little message on the refrigerator that says, "Die, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> After this, Alice and Yvonne go to see Mark because it's been hinted at that Mark's really into Greta and he's never had the balls to do anything about it. And he's just pined for. So he's obviously going to be upset. And he is. And he's so upset that as Alice goes on about Freddie, Mark's like, well, wait a minute. I want to know more. If there's even the inkling of something that was responsible for this that I can do something about, I want to know about it. And Yvonne's like, fuck both of y'all. You're crazy. I'm out of here. But Al stays and uh, with Mark, and we learn that Mark is very obsessed with comics, and uh, this was all because of the director. And in his main character, which you'll see plastered in places out of his comics that he writes, is the Phantom Prowler. That sounds like a fucking rapist. I'm just saying. <laughs> but Wes Craven didn't write this. <laughs> oh, touche. <laughs> I do think it's funny, like... <laughs> I had to Google and see if the actor that played Mark was a pro skater back in the day. Cause he looks like somebody that would have been like a late eighties, early nineties pro skater and he had does. a cameo and gleaming the cube, but he wasn't. <laughs> and I saw in the documentary, he like, he thought when he read the script and, and, and got the gig that he was going to be like a goth kid and like all black with dark hair. And then like yeah. he shows up and they made him like have frosted tips and shit and wear bright colors. That comes into play later, though. Yes, but this movie came out in 89, and he straight up looks like he's out of the early 90s. Like, he looks so ahead of the times. <laughs> but uh, Alice notices that he's starting to nod off, and she's like, I'm going to go make some coffee. And when she returns, she sees a drawing of the Elm Street house and an ant, like, fucking aha's take on me drawing of uh, Mark walking into the house. And I love this because she draws a little (laughs) stick figure and it's so implied that it's like, well, that's not going to work. And she writes her name over it. (laughs) (laughs) And then she closes her eyes and she appears there. I love that. (laughs) Yes. That part's very clever and very funny. And I'm glad you did the take on me reference because I can't unsee that during the scene of the film. Yeah, man. He he morphs into the guy on the motorcycle and then into Chris Griffin every time. (laughs) The fuck? So she goes in the house and immediately sees that Mark is is hanging onto the edge of a hole in the dining room in one of the Freddy tubes. And she grabs him and pulls him up. And he stands up and upon seeing that his hands are cut, he just passes out and falls straight back into a little poof of dust and disappears. Which once again, going back to Nancy falling in the chair in three and shit, that always looks good. Like from then on, these, yeah. are, these are always cool. And all of a sudden she noticed Jacob standing over in the corner of the room with his back to her. And uh, she's like, you know, hey, we, we, we got to get you out of here. Your mother must be worried sick. And he's like, you don't care about me. How come you never think about me? Like, duh. And, and Alice still has a look on her face like, what? <laughs> Meanwhile, the the audience has had their fucking face stapled to the carpet. Yes. And force fed this point. And Jacob's like, I have to go. He's calling me. And he buggers off upstairs. And then Alice is suddenly back at Mark's. And uh, Mark is now a believer <laughs> uh, because of what he just saw. And after referring to her baby as Jacob, we now know Alice finally fucking gets it. 
kinda. Because <laughs> Mark's all like, she, she just blurts out the names like, huh? <laughs> it's like my baby. You like, named it? You named it? <laughs> so Alice then heads to see Yvonne for a checkup for the baby. And Mark says he's going to go do some research on Kruger. And at the hospital, Alice asks if unborn babies dream. And uh, she's told yes. And then during the ultrasound, Alice gets like sucked out of her own body. And this kind of sparkly animation I'm okay with because it's like this blue stuff that like starts on her womb and goes over her whole body and gets sucked up into the light. And we see inside the womb and like the baby sitting there floating and shit. And then like the wall of, of the womb is Freddie's face. And he's like, see any family resemblance? <laughs> <laughs> and then we see the, the dead kids fucking going through the Freddie tube. And now we learn what the Freddie tube is. It's fucking Jacob's umbilical cord. Right. And Freddie's feeding her the souls, right? Oh my boy. Yes, exactly. So we're all clear on what's going on now. Alice included. <laughs> And as she goes to leave, we see the doctor making a phone call. So afterwards, Alice and Mark try once again to convince Yvonne, and she's still not having it. And she doesn't care what they're saying, because then we get the good line out of Mark. She's like, oh, shit, now you too. And he's like, he invited me to his house last night. And his hands are all fucking slashed up. I love that. And uh, Mark floats the idea of an abortion. And Alice is like, I'm not down with that. He's a part of me. He's a part of Dan. I'm not doing that. So then Dan's parents show up. And they're like, mm. um, you're fucking crazy. We don't think you can handle raising a kid. We want to raise it. And they keep calling it a thing and an it. And uh, they say that the doctor called and there's a great opportunity here for a HIPAA violation joke. But that wasn't enacted until 96. So I won't. I looked it up okay, just, okay. just to double check. <laughs> but uh, fucking Alice stands up to him. And she's like, it's not an it. it's my baby and you're not getting it. And they're like, well, we'll just see what the courts have to say about it. So it's showing Alice as a strong person standing up to them while dealing with all this shit, which I'm okay with, which kind of lends credence to what some of the fans refer to her as. I'll save this for the end, but I don't, I don't go there. So later on, Alice goes to Mark's and Mark has been diving into all the shit. Cause when he comes in, in the scene before when Yvonne's there, he's got like a stack of papers and shit. And uh, when Yvonne leaves, she knocks it out of his hands and there's even a picture of Amanda Kruger and Alice is like, I've seen her before. So they're trying to figure out how like Amanda must be the key and shit. And Mark's like, I've read about this before. And he pulls out a book called Christian Mythology. And it's almost like, I feel like it's a joke about the Bible in all seriousness when he pulls it out. And um, they start to put the pieces together. I think that was just an easy way to continue to use the Christianity story from the previous one, defeating the demon without them taking a religious stance. Yeah. And they just took like the, the scientific version following the mythology of Christianity. Like people follow Greek mythology, right? Okay. So the pieces that they put together is that Amanda Kruger didn't kill herself and uh, that they need to free her trapped soul from its earthly prison and that she can defeat Freddie. Okay. I don't know how you got all that, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> So Alice tells Mark to watch her as she goes to sleep to look for Amanda. Whatever you do, don't go to sleep. It's not said here, but they could have done it. Oh, yeah, it's damn right. Meanwhile, we've got Yvonne at the pool, and she's standing there at her locker crying, and another chick walks by behind her, and she's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, is the pool still open? I seriously think that Yvonne has already been having nightmares and is too terrified to say anything about it. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if that's why her character's so aggro and then breaking down here, but that's what I've always read into it. Well, if you ignore the Freddy part, she has lost a lot of friends in a small window, <laughs> and the friends that she has left are going crazy. That could just be that. <laughs> yeah, so 
So being the only one there, she goes up to the high dive and the high dive turns into these like tentacle finger things. And some of it looks cool and some of it doesn't. And they start surrounding her and she jumps and we get the jumping through long shot of the dark void that that Craven wanted in the original. We finally get it in a yeah. movie. And the pool turns into a little mud puddle and she goes to dive and she goes through it. But in going down into it, everything reverses and she bursts up and into Freddy's hot tub. And uh, <laughs> Alice, meanwhile, in the dream world, has made it up the stairs to this walled up section of a door that's no longer there. And this is a really cool shot because the door to go into the boiler room is like 15 feet through the air down the wall. And Freddie pulls her in and she rolls horizontally on the wall into the room. Fucking love that shot. Yeah. She's like, what are you up to, Kruger? And he pulls Yvonne out of the water. He's like, I thought I was up to Yvonne. (laughs) 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 And that's so good. (laughs) But uh, she stabs him with a pool skimmer that's floating in the hot tub. But I'm okay with that because the dream was about a pool. And she grabs Yvonne and they go out. But this time the door in front of it, there's an actual ledge that goes out to the stairs that she had been on previously. And Freddie looks out the door and it's like something scares him. And he slowly slinks back and the door slams. And then suddenly in this moment of sitting there, Yvonne has a breakdown. And I love her delivery here. It's so good because she's like, you're not crazy. (laughs) 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 And it's so good. Meanwhile, you know. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep, Glenn. So Mark's laying on the floor looking through his comic books and he picks up this comic called Nightmares from Hell. And he's flipping through it and it basically shows the movie all the way up to a cell of, like it's got the death scenes and shit and then there's just blank pages and a cell of Mark laying on the floor looking at a comic book. And then we get the wide shot of that's what's really going on and just as Mark's like, oh shit, he gets sucked into it and it's all animated and shit and I love it. So now sucked into the dream, he's in the warehouse that he works at, which is where he lives too. And uh, everything's fucking subdued black and white which they didn't just suck the color out of it they really did the set like that and then put him in yeah. brighter clothes for the scene and uh freddie pops up to do some cube gleaming <laughs> like you mentioned before <laughs> and as he skates by he's chopping down all the supports for all this shelving in the warehouse and he comes all the way up to mark who cowers and everything crushes in around him but freddie's not there actually i'm saying this out of order freddie comes all the way up to him and everything hasn't collapsed yet And then he hears crying and he looks up and the absolute worst unmatched person and makeup they could have used for Greta is standing next to Freddie because it's totally different and doesn't look like her at all. And the cheeks are too big. I don't like it. But uh, (laughs) Freddie takes a bite out of her stomach and pushes her off the edge. You know what? That stays in there because he just scrapes it off in this scene. I wonder if as a kid, I was smart enough to put two and two together, yeah. but was dumb enough to think I saw it happen in, in the dinner scene. That's probably what happened. Okay. And somewhere in there, you smoked a bunch of weed. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Freddie pushes uh, Greta off the edge, and then a Greta doll hits the ground and shatters and blood goes everywhere. And this is enough to piss off Mark to the point of turning into the Phantom Prowler. So I guess everything did collapse. It just didn't kill him. So now Mark is the rape, the Phantom Prowler. And (laughs) he's got these guns attached to him and he looks kind of dumb, but kind of cool. So we'll just go with it. And he shoots the shit out of Freddy and he collapses. And then he pops back up as Super Freddy. (laughs) What does he say? Faster than a bastard something. I don't remember what he says. 
It's faster than a bastard maniac, more powerful than a local madman, and it probably goes on from there. But it, it's a take on the uh, on the Superman, totally, thing, right? Because it's Super Freddy, and he goes up to Mark with one big slash, and I love this. Yes, we have a cutaway. And then all of a sudden the camera pulls out and we're inside a chopped out section of a paper drawn mark and the ink of Mark starts running out of the wound like it's his life force. And then Freddie just goes bonkers, chopping him up to confetti, basically. Yeah. And then we see all we see is a bloody hand kind of flop down in the real world on some comic books. And this is something that was actually another thing that was chopped to bits because what was supposed to happen when Alice wakes up and sees Mark just hacked to pieces and they dumped all that because they were told they couldn't get an R rating with it. Yeah. Which is another one of those movies where the stuff they chose to cut is just stupid, especially when you look at other movies, even given for the time, I think these cuts were stupid. I haven't actually seen the version of this if it was even filmed, so... I don't know how grotesque it actually was, though, with them cutting Mark into pieces. This, this is I do true. know it looks badass, and if I remember correctly, I think it's all done and shot with a giant paper printout of Mark. Yeah, yeah. This was like South Park style, in all seriousness. Like, they really did it. They really animated it, and it was great. I, I It would have been cheesy and CG. I think it was a real fun thing to do, the comic book angle. The director's force of putting this in the movie and forcing them to do this as the kill genius yeah and for myself growing up as a comic book nerd and horror fanatic (laughs) i fucking love this whole scene you know what's interesting like with the phantom prowler thing you know we've got at least an inkling of going back to the dream warriors and the dream master of powers in the dreams yeah which i'm surprised more kids didn't use but i guess most of them are so scared shit in their fucking pants they didn't even try to fight back yes yes a lot of pants shitting when freddy pops up but Mark was just pissed fucking enough to, to pull out his dream power, right? Yeah. So just as this happens, Yvonne shows up as like the paramedics and everybody showed up and Alice is walking out and shit. So we now know that Yvonne knows. So Yvonne's like, what do I do? And uh, Alice tells her, like, I need you to go to the tower and find Amanda. So Alice dreams herself into the asylum. And uh, I like this part because we get some cool back and forths between Yvonne in the real world going through the asylum and Alice in the asylum, but it's real brief. Some more of that was warranted and would have been cool, but we got some of it, which I kind of like. Yeah. So Alice is calling out Freddie, and I think this is the part where she's like, you don't want to talk to me? Maybe you'd rather talk to Amanda. And uh, it's like she knows what's up now, and like that's what you're scared of, and she's she's full on facing him. And for some reason, uh, she just grabs this baby carriage. <laughs> When she sees Freddy and it's got these like tendrils sticking out of it and she stabs him with it. And I get the visual representation with the carriage, but for this to just suddenly happen out of nowhere when Freddy pops up is kind of dumb. I think we had seen the carriage floating around in the dreams throughout the movie, though. I feel like it was a a persistent character throughout the film before the scene, though, right? We had seen it. I want to say we only saw it once before, but it's just it's it's weak sauce. But what it does do, and I use that phrase way too much, but the important thing about the carriage is that as she rams him through the door, it's into the room with the hundred maniacs and he flies into there and they're so fucking berserker. They just go tearing him apart as his limbs hit the ground. They turn into spiders, which some of them are animated and composited and bad, but there's some real ones. And I never noticed this until watching an interview preparing for this, that 
uh, Hopkins says that they lost control of all the tarantulas and that it makes jokes about maybe to this day they're still there. I don't know. I was running back and forth between so many sets. I don't know what was going on. He's like, so <laughs> so maybe there's red and green painted tarantulas still running around. And I'm like, what? And I actually paid attention <laughs> this morning and rewatched it. And on the shot where they're on, she takes off her jacket because they're on her. Uh, Alice yeah. does and she's stomping on it. They're fucking, their torsos or their abdomens or their whatever the middle part of a spider is, they're fucking red and green. I never oh, noticed. Oh, really? Yeah. I never noticed that. I didn't even know to look for it until after you said, well, I've never seen this fucking aquarium Freddy glove. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and see now. Yeah, but it's really, like I had to read about it and then go back and rewatch a scene though. <laughs> like not noticing tarantulas were a unnatural color is a little fucking crazier to me. Well, it's just their, the middle of their bodies though. It's not the leg. So it's actually really hard to see. Okay. So suddenly Alice looks up and I know you're going to want to jump in here. Just bear with me. I promise. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and across the way, she sees Jacob and now Gimpy reassembled Freddie in crazy stairs from fucking MC Escher. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopkins talks about this in Never Sleep Again, but in Never Sleep Again, he rolls it back. In the interview from the box set, which was recorded way earlier, at least 99, I think. He talks about how he's always loved MC Escher and he's always loved the stairs and that he, if he ever had an opportunity to do it in a movie, he would. And that some movies had tried to do it and did a terrible job like Labyrinth. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I agree with what you said in Labyrinth. Cause I know I brought this up in the Labyrinth episode. Labyrinth did it better. They really yes. did. After thinking about it, they went too over the top for this. They tried to cram too much in there and the layer upon layer upon layer doesn't look as good as the reserved broad strokes they used in Labyrinth. I will 100% agree with you. And they didn't have Bowie in this film. I'm really glad that Freddie never broke into song at a whole franchise. <laughs> <laughs> it never happened. You know, somebody brought this shit up before. <laughs> But um, they run around on the stairs until eventually Freddie disappears and Alice and Jacob are together. But and we've got a thing where Dan walks in from the Crave Inn because it's one of the the angles of the stairs and shit and pretends to be daddy. But he's actually Freddie. It all happens really fast and it's all kind of thrown together. And what you start to notice from the stained glass and shit is we're basically back in the chapel from the previous movie. Yeah. And uh Somehow Alice asks Jacob where he is because Jacob ends up saying uh, he's inside you where he hides. He says it's easy because he knows you so well. So that's kind of like the last setup of of how Freddie's been manipulating things through Alice, I guess. And more importantly, we get to see Freddie burst out of Alice like we haven't seen since Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And we even get the one shot of the glove bursting out of the wrist that's like straight up the same. Yeah. And this is, there's, there's shots with an amputee. There's shots that are puppets. There's shots that are like, they threw every trick they could at this and all in all, it came out pretty good. There's a couple of shots that are pretty, pretty weak today, but it's really cool seeing him pull all the way out of her. Well, it's really neat if you think about it, because that means Freddie was not at full power and able to do his thing the whole film. And he was basically just like, just like a, a minuscule amount of him still existed in the dream world and was Fucking with these kids through her dream master power, I guess, and feeding the souls to the baby, right? Yeah. So he was being reborn in a way through this baby's dreams, right? So that's like a nice little afterthought put in there. But I've seen this movie way too many times to just now realize that. I feel like <laughs> so I feel like they didn't do it well enough. But 
Well, while all this is going on, we cut back to Yvonne. And Yvonne's made it up to the top of the stairs and she's using a piece of rebar or something to knock out the bricks. And she sees Amanda from behind standing in, in the sealed up room. And this shot used to freak me out as a kid because um, you never <laughs> see her face. And she reaches up and kind of taps her on the shoulder. And as the head turns, it's a skeleton. But then it quickly fades into Amanda Kruger. And she says, thank you. And her soul vamps out and the clothes fall to the ground. Or the, the habit. Isn't that what you told me that a, a nun outfit's called? It is called a habit. And she became one with the force. Yes. So with Amanda free. We cut back over to what's going on with, you know, we've got Freddie and Alice and Jacob kind of hanging out in the chapel and Amanda pops up and she tells Jacob that now's the time that Jacob needs to unleash the power that Freddie's given him. And, uh, cause, oh, this is the shot. This is the shot where Freddie's holding, uh, uh, Alice by the neck and Jacob's like, Hey Kruger. And he, and he rubs his nose during this exchange and you can actually see the blade <laughs> go ding, 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 cause it's fucking plastic. But anyways, she's no fun anymore. I want to learn stuff from you. And Kruger, instead of killing Alice, just is like, oh, okay, cool. And drops her. I don't buy that. He already knows she's the dream master. And, and if anybody can whoop his ass a little bit, it would be her. Right. So oh, that's, that's, she, that's she where we're going. His ass once. You're not wrong. Okay, fine. Still don't like it. I think. <laughs> so anyways, what? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a, I get where you're coming from. And I understand that. It's just, there's a lot of, I'm just saying he should have killed her like, <laughs> because of that. He knows like if anybody could fucking hurt gotcha. him, it would be her. Right. Okay. 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 I thought you were saying that he was too scared to even try to fight her that he's just like, I'm going to leave you be. No, 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 I'm saying it's dumb. He should have fucking <laughs> killed her because she could, she's the only person that's strong enough in the dream world to whoop his ass. Yeah. She's the only one that knows the rhyme. <laughs> and she's a dream master and guards the gates. Okay. Okay. There's that too. But, uh, at Amanda's advice, um, what is, uh, Jacob says schools out Kruger, which it was supposed to be fuck you Kruger, but got changed. I don't know if there's, that's true, but that's what, what's his nut says in an interview. <laughs> and he spits this like vomit veiny tentacle thing into Kruger's stomach, which really hurts him for some reason. I don't know if that's supposed to be a representation of the full force of his power since the souls are being fed into him instead of Kruger. So Jacob's actually more powerful. Maybe he was spitting out what bit of Freddy was in him. <gasps> oh my God, I'm an idiot. I don't know why I've never, you, what you just said is right. He spits the fucking souls into him. Because the souls yeah. are fixing to burst out of them. Okay. Oh, yeah, because it's got the heads on it yeah, and everything, right? I've never fucking put two and two together. So anyways, so that's exactly what happens. And the little heads with the, the tentacles hanging behind him burst out of his back, very reminiscent of the hands that burst out of him at the, the end of the previous movie. And they're pulling out of his back so hard that they drag him across the stained glass shit, and it rips fetal Freddy out of him. And the clothes collapse. For some reason, Jacob turns into a baby, and uh, <laughs> I guess it's so we can have both moms do this. It has to be. And Alice picks up her baby, and it gently absorbs back into her. And Amanda <laughs> grabs fucking little Freddy, right. Freddy, who's trying to scurry away, and very painfully reabsorbs him. And Amanda tells Alice, she's like, take your baby and leave. I'm guessing that, like, in the dream world, I mean, you got to think of this like logically and not physically right that they're 
linked together, Jacob and Freddy in the yeah. dream world, right? And we're just separating them. Jacob's not actually a fucking, you know, 9-year-old kid yet or whatever. He's uh he he's a a fetus <laughs> at this point. So, so like the dream version of them has separated and they have to go back to where they belong and they're not like locked in the dream world together anymore, okay. right? I, so so this that's is what I got out of it. This is like the unicorn's back to life order is being restored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I just did that again. But yeah, that. <laughs> So uh, we very quickly see fucking Freddy's hand burst out of Amanda Kruger's stomach. Looks fucking badass. At first. (laughs) (laughs) The idea of it's badass, okay? Yes, because Craven wrote it. And uh, (laughs) yes. So then it goes from awesome. And then the shot starts to pull away as these doors close. And immediately it turns into a shitty little puppet. I don't mean a charm or actually a doll. And I don't mean a charming doll like Army of Darkness winged thing flying off with Sheila. Charming. This this is just bad. Oh, that was not charming. That was was bad too. Okay. But I'm saying this is worse. (laughs) And uh, I love the idea of the shot pulling back. And as the doors slam, they explode and we can still see what's going on. But yeah, Amanda's at the end of the hallway screaming with the the, the Kruger hand coming out. And uh, anyways, that's that's it. And we fade into uh, a cut to something sometime later because we've now got the baby has been born. And we've got Alice, Yvonne, Dad, and baby Jacob sitting down for a picnic. And uh, this shot was sponsored by PepsiCo because they're only drinking Pepsi and Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, They're just sitting there chilling. Everything's cool. And the shot slowly pulls away and we start to hear the rhyme slowly fade in. And we're pulling into where we can see girls jumping rope. And this last part right here, I absolutely love. I always forget which movie it's at the end of. And you can hear the whipping around of the rope through the air get louder and louder and louder till the screen goes black and there's credits. I like leaving on that, leaving the door open for a sequel, yada, yada, yada. I'm I'm okay with all that, but I just love the audio use of the rope and how did no one ever think to do that at the end of one before this? Like I said, some of the most creative deaths, great effects as far as makeup effects go weak story. People say that the story was probably too adult for a younger audience and it may have been, I don't know. I just think it kind of grasped at straws from the previous two movies and didn't really tell its own story other than the baby thing, which I mean, how old do you got to be? I'm almost 40 and I think it's a weak story. Lowest moneymaker out of the set, shot for six million and only made twenty two. There's the tale of of two Alice's or Lisa's, I'm gonna say, because I I like her character, I like her arc, I like Lisa Wilcox. I think all of that's okay in in the box it was put in and what it had to do. But there's a lot of people that like her so much that it's like, yeah, she's the new Nancy. She's the re embodiment of, of Nancy. Like, oh no, 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 no. She doesn't get that. I'm sorry. I, I can't. That is a bridge too far for me. I have them completely separated, like in my head, because Nancy is possibly one of the most badass final girls, like with the whole booby trapping and everything in the first film. Yeah, she didn't have no but, dream powers. Right. But Alice is badass in a different way. I mean, she, she is the new Nancy. I will say she's the new Nancy, because if you're going to ignore the second one happened, like <laughs> New Line Cinema did... You know what I mean? Like Nancy's the first two and then Alice carried the next two. So she is the new Nancy. Yeah, but I I, I put them in two completely different boxes. Like Nancy's story of going from wide-eyed teen to the destroyer of evil is a much, much more powerful and original story than you'll need my power and 
and all that. <laughs> uh, just I, I like the 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 guarding of the gates to the dream world mythos. I think it was pretty. Neat. I like that. I wish they um, would have just stayed focused on that. Yeah, because it it quickly derails from this after this. Oh yeah, the um, run up to the shark. the The train is off the rails, and we are running <laughs> towards the shark officially now. But that's for another time that we're not we're not there yet. But. <laughs> I do want to say this is my least favorite film out of the entire franchise, and that is including the next one. Wow. Okay, we haven't covered yet. And I feel like it's the only Freddy movie in the entire franchise where they had no fucking idea. They just wanted to shit out of another movie for money and just shit one out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 100% agree with you on that. Because even the second one, they were trying to do new shit with it. Yeah. Third one, definitely. Fourth one, definitely. This one was just, like you said, it was 0.5 off of the last one, right? Like, it was just an add-on. And then the next one, they legitimately tried to cover the origin and wrap it up. Yeah. No matter how you feel about the execution of it, that was the goal in mine, right? Yeah, totally. And I can't wait to watch that one again because I haven't seen it in a really long time. And that's the only one I got to see in theaters. And I got to see it in 3D. So... Like, I have the rose-colored goggles. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode to hear us cover that one. Freddy's dead. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbyspodcast. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. But when you wake up, it's back in the saddle again.